At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this free episode of Dunk Don. If you would like every episode of Dunk Don, you can subscribe at dunkdon.supportingcast.fm. Dunkdon.supportingcast.fm. All right, let us now speak of the Dallas Mavericks with one Tim Cato of The Athletic. Uh, Tim, we were talking briefly here just before the show. You're not used to having this long uh, of an offseason and certainly not uh, what the Mavericks uh, envisioned either at the start of a season that had previously seen them in the West Finals. Yeah, yeah. You know, after COVID, after the shortened seasons and the ones that were delayed and then a very unexpected run to the conference finals, um, this this summer has a uh, has been a bit longer. I'll take it. You know, the Mavs did me a favor. Let me uh you know get some t- good time off. But uh but yeah, that 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 last season, you know, completely missing the playoffs. You know, there's only I'll say this. Um, I think both of us were very wrong. Uh, in our in in our pot around this time last year. Um, about how that possibly could have gone, uh, gone, but I, I don't really blame us because I, there's almost no way there, there's just absolutely no way that a season that bad could have been predicted. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was not good. So we probably don't need to rehash what took place over the first two thirds or so of the season before the trade deadline, but suffice it to say it went badly enough that they had to make the deal for Kyrie Irving, sending out Dorian Finney Smith, who had been such a stalwart, uh, Reggie Bullock is no longer here. Either they've really remade this team to quite a degree. And before we start talking about that, though, I do want to hit on the what took place when Kyrie and Luca played together. That probably has the greatest applicability to what's going to happen this season. So when those guys were actually on the floor together, you know, their injuries for Luca, and then obviously uh, they famously shut it down to the tune of a $750,000 fine at the end. And well, worth it to keep the pick what did it look like when those two played together a year ago they they were great offensively you know 122 just just under 122 offensive rating uh with luca and Kyrie on the court um some of the luca only minutes uh the the offense kind of sagged um doesn't really feel like that's going to be a problem. You know, we both know that when Luke is on the court, he creates good offense. Uh, the, the Kyrie specific offense, uh, was, was also very good. Um, you know, it was the defense that, that was the problem. And it was, you know, the defense had been bad. It got worse. Uh, that's not a huge surprise when you send out, you know, a, a good defender in, uh, in the trade that they made for Kyrie and Dorian Finney Smith. Um, yeah, the defense was just abysmal. You know, that, that was the main reason for the reason, you know, that, 
that that that's why they lost. That's why they missed the playoffs. That's why they had to shut it down. Um, it was just it, you know it was just miserable. They they had a bunch of close losses. Um, by no means you know that that was the way they played. They did not deserve to make the playoffs last year. I, I do think it's fair to say that if you run the end of the season, you know, a hundred times, that's one of the worst possible outcomes that could have happened at the end of last season. Sure. They weren't a good team, you know, but they also, you know, they, they had a lot of stuff go against them. Um, that's just, you know, looking ahead, it's, it's not stuff that is guaranteed to, to replicate. Um, Outside of probably Luca and Kyrie both missing uh, with with injuries, and we'll get to that. But with those two on the floor, and with the changes that they've made to their roster, which brings in a lot of athleticism and, and brings in more defensive minded players, there's a way this can absolutely work out and look fantastic. Uh, you know, with those two together. Um, now contender fantastic. No, but they can be a very good team and that they're going to be one of the very best offenses of the league. As long as those two guys are playing, it's just a question of how good can the defense be? And, you know, what is this team ceiling? Uh, you know, whether it's make noise in the playoffs, get to the playoffs or, you know, as I'm sure we're going to talk about, it's possible. They, they just aren't a playoff team or at least, you know, they're a play in team. Um, what went, I do want to talk a lot about the defense uh, still, but I mean, things must have gone pretty well to have a 122 offensive rating with those two guys, uh, on the floor. What did work so well for them? And you know, is that, are there any reasons to believe that'll continue, not continue uh, this year? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it's funny how good Luca and Kyrie were together when it wasn't really Luca and Kyrie, it was Luca or Kyrie. Um, mm-hmm. we both know this is, you know, often how ball dominant stars play together. You know, it wasn't that much different. LeBron and Kyrie played together. You know, the, the idea of, you know, a lot of fans wanted to see more, you know, Kyrie screening for Luca and vice versa. But, you know, when every single team is putting your best two defenders on that, there was some logic to just putting Kyrie in the corner, putting Luca in the corner. Um, I, I think the most interesting about the offense was when, when the Kyrie trade first happened, they, they really ran a, a, a really motion focused, uh, uh, you know, a, a post elbow focused offense for a few games that, that looked really interesting. It's something that kind of faded as, as time went on. Um, but I, I think there's things they can do with Kyrie. It won't just be, you know, the, the, the one, two pick and roll, uh, every time or the one, four, you know, if, if we're trying to think of who's most likely guarding Luca, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily always going to be that. Um, but, but certainly I, I think increasing the amount of, uh, involvement and actions that, you know, you can put both of them in and, and maximize how, how you do that. It's going to take in, uh, it's going to take buy-in from Luca. And, and that's the big thing. And we know historically that, you know, he is, he's not a great off ball player, um, on either end of the court, but, you know, uh, offensively, you know, he's capable of it, but whether he can buy in and, and commit to, you know, first off, just actually shooting spot up three, something he seems to hate to do. Uh, and then, you know, even beyond that, just, just being a guy who, who's willing to move, who's willing to, you know, not hold the ball multiple seconds every time he touches it, uh, keep the offense going. But again, the offense was so good. And even if it's my turn, your turn, it's going to be so good that that's not really the questions about this team. Uh, we're just talking icing on the cake and, and hey, can they make something that's great even better? So yeah, 122 offensive rating uh, would have been the best in the league, although not as good as, for example, the Nuggets when Jokic is on the floor. Like that was an incredible number. But you know, that that's certainly right up there with your two stars. 
because that's where you want to be. You know, Portland with Dame was like a 120, for example. Now, just generally offense is higher after the trade deadline with the number of teams that aren't trying, etc. The biggest thing that sticks out to me is they got to that number. They were basically league worst in offensive rebounding and also league worst in terms of percentage of plays in transition. Not quite league worst, but like, you know, 10th percentile of that per cleaning the glass. They did it just with unbelievable shooting, 40% from three. That's a lot to ask for even with you know Luca's not a great shooter it's some of the other guys that they have like I, I don't know that the support guys even on wide wide open looks and shoot 40 percent from three like Kyrie I think he is a 40 percent three-point shooter but he was incredibly efficient with his own offense uh they shot 52 percent on mid-rangers and 73 percent at the rim with those two guys on the floor only ended up being 900 possessions or so in the end that they played together so when I see that I it, that does make me think again this is a small sample so i but you would expect that for anybody who plays that well together i think they're primed for a little bit of a regression this year in that shooting now so can the other stuff get better maybe uh but and obviously the defense could get better too but i i, I mean as crazy as it is to say given how poorly they played i don't expect them to have a or i don't expect them to have uh quite the level of shooting efficiency as a team that they showed with those two on board I, I guess the the counterpoint is is that maybe this is just the Luca effect I mean there are 121 with Luca on before the Kyrie trade and you know yeah, he was okay. mostly playing without Spencer Dinwiddie so that's a much bigger sample and they were still you know within about a point offensive rating wise you know with a with a cast last season that just you know clearly a lot you know declines around the board um you know Luca just inspires fantastic offense so you, your logic is totally sound and and I do think that there is value and maybe even necessity to getting more out of Kyrie and Luca uh together uh, you know, yeah. less well, number well, focus. I don't think yeah. it's. I don't think it's them. I think it's just you know some of the support guys must have hit hit a few more shots and and maybe that they those guys just everyone shot it particularly well there. But I and your but your your point is a good one. I mean, if with with Kyrie and and without you, know, it didn't really seem to affect things that much uh, for when Luca's on the floor. Obviously, when Luca's off the floor, hopefully Kyrie can help. Although Kyrie is the as the lone dog has at best, I would say a mixed record of really boosting. But of course, there's at least a, a reasonable floor there. Can I? I tell you one more thing that that just sticks out to me absolutely here are like some of your most used lineups with luca and Kyrie on the floor the other three guys reggie bullock at the three josh green at the four dwight powell at the five tim hardaway at the three reggie bullock at the four dwight powell at the five and then a few of those bring in uh, uh moxie kleba a, a little bit as well and, and then so that's when you're talking about the defense it's like yeah yeah no wonder like and you can complain about luca and Kyrie's defense all you want and i think that's reasonable and luca is really important for setting a tone there but like yeah of course they sucked on defense with those guys yeah yeah no they they did you know losing their best defender in all likelihood and in, in finney smith and you know just not having a lot around it you know two seasons ago when when they went to the conference finals Jason Kidd got way more than he ever should have out of that defense. It was really impressive. Yeah. And then the, and that's the second where we year, really went wrong. Yeah, that's where we went wrong. I think the most because we were we picked these guys for what 52 wins. Last yeah, year, I think is what we both had. Like, it, that's where I think we we went wrong. It's just that, like, they weren't going to keep that up. I, I was like, oh, hey, like they got rid of Brunson. Like, he's not some great defender. They got some more size in. Like, why wouldn't they be able to maybe be even better? It's like, ah, uh, no, actually, that's uh, that's not true. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think Brunson, you know, I, I think he had an intangible 
effect even on the uh, even on the offense even playing with Luca you know they they at times they became very you know th- this is a three point shooting team this is you know uh, third or fourth in the league in in attempts but you know I, I think there was some sort of loss in in Jalen's uh, Jalen Brunson's kind of steady mid range um, becoming even more three point dependent meant that you know they're going to miss more shots they're going to get ran at more often they weren't a very good transition defending team they're okay half court team but they're you know just about the worst transition defending team and so you know changing you know some some twos to threes and in, in Brunson's departure I, I think haven't had an effect and then when you're listing the, the the trios that would play with Luca and Kyrie those are just like not dynamic players those are not players who are going to go get their own shots specifically you know drive closeouts and get layups you know Luca plays a certain way and I think he wants to play that way but it's also driven by the players around him uh being such static offensive players and and I think it does have a trickle down effect you know the the two sides of the court obviously are are connected in some ways and I think that was something that that hurt them uh defensively as well for sure I, I mean there's some people who are like hey when Luca does everything that and this is what they said about Harden in Houston some too it's like you know James Harden and Trevor Risa or Reggie Bullock and Jordan Penny Smith if all they have to do is stand there the whole time on offense and they got a lot of energy to play 42 minutes a game in the playoffs uh, on defense but you know those two guys I, I thought slipped and obviously uh neither are here any longer so yeah i i guess our, our next discussion is what are their chances well I, actually no let, let's start with this i mean who's on this team now w- what did they do this offseason so there's one locked in starter and it's grant williams um he's probably their third best player which uh speaks to the ceiling of this team you know uh for a a recent finals team to have grant williams as the seventh or eighth man in the rotation and for the mavericks to elevate him to third um i do think you know obviously grant's fit in uh in boston there was overlap with uh with tatum and brown um i I think that he's worthy and uh, of a higher role to be considered as a as a starter and you know it's just on that team and the, the specific needs that he wasn't that said you know grant williams as your third best player is is not a contender um he should be a really good starter for them um you know he should be someone who easily plays 30 32 minutes a night um and his fit you know it's pretty easy to imagine you know he takes and makes threes and he, he plays well defensively he can guard up um after that is where all the questions start um you know, in the starting lineup alone, uh, there's there's no sure. clarity about what's going to happen. Um, is it you know is it going to be Dwight Powell again? Um, you know, it's not really Dwight Powell's fault that he's had to play as the starting center for as long as he has. Uh, he really should be a fan favorite. You know, a, a you know hardworking hustle guy, good character, all of the you know all of those things that you love, but. You know, Mavs fans, a lot of Mavs fans can't stand him. And, and it's, it has nothing to do with Dwight. It's well, just the it, fact that he's... It, it's not he's his fault. He's better than the other guys. Like, right, they play exactly. better with him on the floor than these other guys that they've had in there. Yeah, but yeah, they're they're not going to improve defensively, you know, if, if he's the starting center who's logging another 20 to 25 minutes a night. Um, I, I think the plan, if, if everything goes right, is that he's not going to be playing nearly that many minutes, even if he is the nominal starter to to begin the year. Um, but what they have behind him at center is just kind of a, a, a mismatch of, you know, various players. Rashawn Holmes, maybe they can squeeze something out of him uh, after he really didn't play at all for Sacramento last year. Um, but he didn't play at all for them. And so maybe they can't, uh, you know, Maxi is there. Um, you know, he's reliable, but he's aging. He's showing some decline. Um, you know, he's, he might be their closing center as he has been in the past, but 
you know, really fitting him into a 20 minute, you know, roll off the bench, I think is ideal for, for both parties. Uh, then, you know, I, I think the excitement comes from Derek Lively, the second, you know, he was their, their first round draft pick. All signs say that he's going to get a real chance to, to start. You know, he's going to start the preseason game that, that happens on, on Thursday and Saturday or, or at least Thursday. You know, that's what Jason Kidd said the plan was. Uh, he told Mark Stein and Mark Stein has also said that his understanding is that, you know, it's lively shop to lose. So that's, you know, starting and, a rookie center. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that that's also, you know, he could be in the Keith Bogans, JaVale McGee. You start the first five minutes of the game and then you and then you sit down the rest of the way role as well. I think, I think that's a there. I've been thinking about this a lot because you kind of you've hit on it, right? OK, their third best player is Grant Williams. And you know, what does that mean for what your ceiling is as a team? And I think we'll talk about it more, but I'm not sure they're really a championship contender this year. But I think there is a lot of marketing and, you know, hopefully some upside, too, of Omax Prosper. I think kids said Prosper is going to start, too, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and I think he plays and, more minutes yeah. than Lively, especially early on. I think he's yeah. going to have a real rotation role, uh, whether it's in the starting lineup or not. Yeah. And Prosper, I could believe a little bit more that that would happen because A, he's not as crucial as like the center is to the defense. Uh, and also he's not 19 uh, the way Lively. I think he's still 19 if memory serves. 19 or 20. Uh, and, so, and Prosper is a three-year yeah. college guy. Yeah. But it's very interesting to say with you know, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving, on this team but it's almost like the development of prosper and uh lively and Derek lively is and you probably put josh green in this category too though they're gonna be like really relying on him like those guys developing either to possibly be trade assets or just to be like hey all right i know we didn't get there but hey that Derek lively is gonna be unbelievable next year luca uh so you know sort of quell your discontent uh for our our you know play in birth and and low first round exit uh if possible like that that's very interesting i mean i think there's a lot of this is kind of like a fraught situation of like how much they're really depending on these guys you know they could have traded that pick with lively they did not uh they also have like a pretty limited financial situation uh, at least for this year and maybe next year as well so like that's as interesting as luca is and like you know are they gonna at least get back into playoff contention all that the development of those guys is like just such a huge theme of this year and the idea of starting them already it's like you know hopefully maybe there's just a feeling like well this is a self-fulfilling prophecy we hope by by having them in the starting lineup here at the beginning yeah i 100 percent agree with that and and it's you know I, I'll say this, you know, if if, if Luca leaves, I, I think the first thing that I would point to is uh, the failure to retain Jalen Brunson, just losing a player like that. Do, do you um, think that was a mistake? Yeah, yeah. Do, do you think? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Is that is that was that wrong? Should they not have done that? <laughs> I, I I think I think. Um, I think maybe you retain a player who is, uh, you know, a selection away from the All-Star game. I don't even know. Like, I think there's a legitimate argument that, you know, he wasn't going to be the second best player on this team that you have to move him on. I also think Jalen kind of understood that. I think that played into his decision. Ultimately, they didn't offer him money that now in hindsight would be totally reasonable money. You know, if they had maxed him, that would have been perfectly fine money for Jalen Brunson based off who he is. Uh, they didn't even offer what the Knicks did, and, and that's almost a bargain. Um, what I'll give them credit that when Brunson walked, 
I could not have imagined them in the situation they are, you know, just a little bit over a year later, where they now yeah. have four decent prospects. Um, you know, Jaden Hardy has has shown something. Um, you know, uh, they have Prosper. You know, they entered this past draft with one pick, and they managed to get, uh, you know, two players who, you know, the the lively and, and Prosper picks. Um, you know, so to have three guys in Josh Green, all with some trade value, and the hope is that they add to it maybe significantly this season. Um, and then when they hit the draft next year, um, you know, and, and they finally convey that final pick to New York uh, in 2025, you know, assuming that, you know, they they make the playoffs and, you know, it does convey and all, all that stuff, you know, they can trade, you know, they can trade that 25 pick on draft night. Um, they can t- trade 27 and 31. They've got some swaps left for first round swaps. That's not a package that's going to go get you Giannis. In all likelihood, uh, you know, even if Giannis were to say, I want to go to Dallas, you know, I I don't think that's, it's not going to work. And unfortunately, you know, it's that, that's not, but, but it's a package that can get you something. And that was really hard to imagine when Jalen Brunson walked for nothing, you know, uh, a little bit more than a year ago. Yeah. It's interesting. I was surprised that you didn't hear them mentioned at all in the Drew Holiday sweepstakes. I think maybe they're just financially, the the matching salary wasn't going to work there or they, I mean, I think perhaps correctly felt like, all right, let's say we throw lively and Omax prosper into this deal or something like that to get Drew Holiday. It's like, he's 33. Is that a championship team? Maybe not. And, uh, or a championship contender? Like probably not. And then, you know, we just got even older. Like I, I do think there is a, an element of like we got to just get some guys coming behind Luca that are going to convince him that the future is brighter than the past. I mean, even the Kyrie move, you know, he's he's older. We'll talk about him, but he's so that's uh, he's a guy who's on on the downside. And so if you're Luca Doncic and trying to figure out what your next six years looks like or something like that with that supermax extension on the table, then uh, are you uh, are, do you feel like uh, there's enough there that could go go around you? Um, I guess I kind of hijacked it with my. Uh, my Brunson comment, which probably isn't funny at, at this point, that's been, been hashed <laughs> through, hashed through enough. Um, you have every Mavs fan just hitting that skip thirty seconds, and they hit it about three or four times just to make sure they don't have to hear his name again. At Bet three six five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play—from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three point at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's, uh, let's talk through the, the rotation, though. Josh Green, who do you think starts then? If you had to handicap it, uh, or, or I, I mean, maybe even we're seeing this thing with the rookies, you know, the preseason, maybe we'll tell with that. But just based on what we know now, who do you think will and or should start? I think it really might be Prosper. 
um, and I'll use this as a conversation to talk about Josh Green because we do need to talk about Josh Green and, and yes, I've, I've yes, gone too yeah. I mean, he, w- he would have been my thought. Yeah. Josh, Green. Josh doesn't guard up. Uh, Josh Green is, uh, he's looked very good. Uh, he looked very good at times last season. He had his best stretches of, of NBA basketball last season. Um, when Luca was in and out, uh, before the Kyrie trade, uh, there was times where he was, you know, I think for a month he was averaging close to 20 points a game, uh, in, in February. And, and that was, you know, before and, and then, you know, kind of during Kyrie's integration, he, he was just, you know, it, it, for someone who looked like he, you know, for a first round pick that looked like he might be a bust after his first season, uh, it was really impressive. And then, then he was disappointing the rest of the year. Um, he, he really faded. Um, I think specifically he really struggled to play with Luca and Kyrie where to pick his spots. He started having some of the, you know, scared to shoot nature come back. Um, all, all of that is, is interesting. And, and I have no clue what to expect from him this year. I, I could see him finally, you know, having it all come together, or I could see him playing in a way that Dallas, you know, just really needs to to try to trade him and, and sell people on, hey, man, he just doesn't fit with us, but he'll be better for you. Like his value is more than what he's showing right now. You know, I, I do think he's going to play probably the fourth or fourth, fourth or fifth most minutes on the on the team. Um, you know, that's a that's a rough guess. Um, but one reason why I'm not sure he makes sense in the starting lineup is is one, he you know, he's looked worse with Luca and Kyrie. He looks better where he can have touches where he's used as more of a secondary ball handler rather than a tertiary guy. Um, and two, he, yeah, he doesn't guard up and, you know, they're going to need someone to guard point guards. And so, um, you know, maybe that's Kyrie. Uh, sometimes when Kyrie locks in, he can be solid on that end or, you know, at least not tragic. Um, maybe that is green and maybe that's why he's starting and, and Grant Williams is the guy who's going to be sizing up, but Prosper has more size on him. And I, that's why, you know, maybe if you're starting lively, even as a kind of de facto six minute guy, you feel like lively has enough size that, that you can get away with, you know, green and Williams as, as the, the two wings. Um, and you know, I guess Luca defensively is a nominal wing, but he's not going to be guarding opposing wings. So, so you do need that size, but that's that's my question with with Josh Green is just is there more defensive consistency um you know for someone who sh- is a really good defender at times you know he he isn't always one and then can he find a place to t- get touches and get stability um and just find his moments to to attack and um you know actually shoot the shots that he needs to shoot when he's on the court even if it is with Luca and Kyrie yeah that's really fascinating because I as I think about the starting lineup and, and a potential closing lineup as well and this is a point that I've made with respect to Josh Giddy I think it's true with Luca as well I think Luca has defended a higher level than someone like Giddy but these guys who are ball handlers six eight but really really Luca's a four defensively and a four and but you know he's he's not going to guard the other team's four if they can actually do anything then he'll probably hide in the opposing three it's rare that a team has both a good three and a four you know if they played a team like boston then you're kind of like, oh man where who's luca gonna guard but it is kind of and luca's actually you know he's pretty useful in the post and he'll at least make a few plays when he's locked in as a help defender grant williams is really a four also like grant if you're saying that grant williams particularly when you know he doesn't have a, 
a lot of Rondom like he did in Boston. Like I think Grant is a solid supplemental defender. I think he's probably at his best defending bigs or maybe you know a four like Kevin Durant like he was good against him two years ago. But of course they had a lot of Rondom. But that's kind of interesting to me because if, if Luca he's probably going to defend fours or whoever is not threatening. If you want Grant Williams really like chasing guys around on the perimeter, like getting over a screen rather than switching, I'm not sure that he can really do that. And then your question becomes like, if it is a, a Omax Prosper, then who guards the point guard? All right, I guess that's got to be Kyrie, but that's, I don't know that you really want Kyrie doing that all the time. I think he can maybe do that at the end of games. So I, I guess kind of my thought would be like, if I were Jason Kidd, I would just try to switch it up based on the matchup. Like if you need, you're going up against a, a great point guard that day, maybe it's Josh Green, he'll guard that guy. And, uh, you know, if Grant Williams is locked in as a starter, you know, maybe if there's like a really good three to chase around, you can hide Luke. I don't think you really want Luka guarding a two though, either. So it, it is like, it's going to be tough, I think, to, especially against good offenses, to cobble together the matchups that you need. Yeah, I think a, a, a non-static, you know, a changing starting lineup does make sense for this team. Um, this has been the Mavericks problem for multiple years throughout the Luka era, but they have a lot, a lot of really solid NBA players who would be great if they're seventh or eighth in your rotation. And unfortunately, they're going to need some of those guys to start. They're going to need some of those guys to be, you know, first, first off the bench and figuring that out is where figuring out how the season is going to look for the team gets really tricky. Well, and back when they had Bullock and Finney Smith playing at a really high level, and this this is not some plea that they should still have those guys. I thought they've kind of fallen off. They're getting older. I, I thought they actually sold high uh, on Dorian uh, to some degree. Then, you know, they had Bullock was the guy who would guard the small guy uh, threat, and Finney Smith could guard the big guy, but he, you know, he was really could guard those threes pretty well, and Luca could hide out on the four, whereas Grant Williams just not the same type of defender in terms of how lithe he is uh, compared to Finney Smith so yeah it's, it is I mean those guys weren't amazing either but there was like a fit defensively in a way that I kind of struggled to find now if Josh Green can be a guy who you know maybe he's not guarding up but it's rare maybe that a team is going to have you know unless you're like a phoenix or something is going to have a one that is really threatening and then also a three that grant williams can't guard so if josh green could guard one of those two guys uh, then maybe you're there uh, or maybe that's Prosper. But I guess maybe now is the time to talk about like what we should expect from Prosper and uh, from Derek Lively based uh, on what we saw in Summer League. Right. Yeah, I think I think the infatuation is too strong, but the interest from the team and in, in starting Prosper, you know, is is kind of what you described. He's got the Finney Smith up and down, you know, can can guard up and down uh, potentially. He's also someone who would you like to guess over his three-year college career, he had almost 2,000 minutes. How many blocked shots did Prosper have uh, a 6'8 wing? <laughs> 12. 12 blocks yeah, his entire yeah, career. I, I, I mean, yeah. I knew it would be something comically low the, the way you introduced yeah. it. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's something that I noted too, uh, where now maybe he can be really good. on ball, But it is kind of funny, right? Like he has this amazing wingspan. He's not, I would say he's just like an okay athlete for the size and type of player that he is and yeah measurables yeah, I mean, more than athleticism i think that's fair yeah yeah i think that's a great way to put it so uh 
uh, and you know, sort of the idea is that he like plays really hard. He runs the floor, all that. And I thought there there are flashes of that in summer league too. But I do, I, I do kind of wonder of like his lateral mobility, particularly if you're like he's getting over a screen on point guards. Like I would be very surprised if that's something that he's going to be good at, uh, particularly early on. And you know, can he guard the best guys in isolation? And eh, you know, maybe we'll we'll see there. But yeah, I mean, I still I kind of saw him like the whole thing is like the guy went 24 right and like you know, right. okay og ananobi went went uh i think it was 23 but he was coming off a torn acl and he, he was younger and you know like a jalen williams went 12 uh you know kind of a similar guy who was like a late riser but you know he did eventually go 12 like if this guy was really that good given the demand for his ostensible skill set wouldn't he have gone higher that's sort of my thought and and i i saw like again he's i think he's gonna be a solid player but i just didn't see this sort of like true awesome defender potential that i think maybe he's been sold to be a little bit too much to this point yeah yeah i think i think that's a a fair pessimistic uh kind of overview of 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 him i mean it's just like you know this is how i this is how i do things this is how i try to think of players like what's what's the you know realistic worst case scenario or not even worse it's just worst case you know like i think if everybody else in the league is is right you know that's kind of how it plays out he's you know i i don't he's not a he's not a high ceiling guy you know i think that the the hope is that you know at at his best he is dorian finney smith like i I think he's a very different player than dorian finney smith it's just an easy comparison um since since that's who the mavs last had in in this position i think offensively especially he does quite a bit more on the ball that i saw in summer league um but yeah three-year college guy you know not in a you know not a uh 15 point scoring upside um uh, ceiling and and again i'm even saying ceiling like i i don't think his ceiling is even reaching that um you know definitely could be a, a good starter sooner than later and and that's useful to the team uh we have seen guys in the in the mid first round uh get passed for those reasons uh and and he may be able to make a instant impact um just because teams around there were looking for you know larger swings than than what Dallas was looking for um i I do think offensively you know big question marks about whether you know how many threes he's going to make what his percentage is going to be whether he keeps shooting them even when you know a a stretch he goes cold for a stretch but i I think that inside the arc he has a a a winning plus offensive game that's just you know hustling and, and rebounding and cutting and you know pretty solid finisher at the rim uh all of the stuff that you know coaches love and and legitimately they should because i I think they're you know things that contribute to winning basketball so i'm i'm very curious to see what he looks like uh i I think my assessment of the team is you know whether he can play 25 minutes or whether he's out of the rotation in november i i think that's um you know definitely worth a few wins um because they really need a player like him and you know like you said early on you know maybe you just start lively and, and prosper just to kind of try to will it into existence because you know i think lively for the same reasons is you know a player they really need you know haven't had size haven't had uh much shot blocking um you know really struggled to rebound last season um lively was drafted to not be an instant ready right away type of guy and so all all that they're saying about how impressive he is that can all be true and it can still be bluster in terms of so, him. so what what have they been saying so far they, they've been saying you know that they they've been more impressed than they expected um obviously they drafted him they expected to be impressed but you know he's he's 
overachieved what they thought he could do early on that he's paired really well with Luca you know the the whole idea that he might legitimately be given a, a starting uh you know the starting job whatever minutes come along with that or even whatever minutes he can play because one of his huge issues in college was fouling uh quickly getting in foul trouble I you know early on uh when they first drafted him and even in summer league when I talked to people around the Mavericks uh they pretty much all expected him to be someone who'd get a lot of G League minutes for the first couple months to hopefully set him up for a rotation role, you know, by the time we got to 2024. And what I'm hearing now and, and what what people are saying is that he's running a little bit ahead of that course. And so I'm still not sure that you can go from a, you know, uh, you know, a, a freshman who barely played at, at, at Duke. And there's reasons for that. But, you know, he, he it's not like he logged tons of minutes. He's he's very raw. But he does have the size. Uh, I, but I'm not sure you can go from that and an expected G League role to a 20 minute starting center. But if he does, that's impressive, and it it definitely bodes well for what the Mavericks can do this season. Because, uh, yeah, like we said, you know, as we kind of went through the centers, uh, you know, the other options that they have available, it's there's nobody who can come even close to replicating, you know, the the theory of what uh, Derek Lively the second is going to be in the league. Yeah, and ultimately, I think that's the sort of player that you need next to Luca, a great guy who can finish. Luca's just su- such a great passer, uh, and I, I don't think he is too bothered by the lack of spacing that a center provides particularly because lively would provide some vertical spacing and then to just, like building like a pure switching type of defense it's really tough to put all those guys together and and also if you could have a guy who's a defensive anchor maybe you just get the defense respectable enough and luca carries the offense and that's how you get back to being you know that high level of, of playoff team and i also i don't think it's insane to start lively because if grant is also going to start because i think grant against a lot of teams can protect him from from those big behemoth post matchups and lively can kind of play that back line role and we're just seeing that so much more they're trying to talk about that with john today of the you you have maybe more of a bruiser at the three or the four who can just kind of push the center out and then if that guy gets beat you've got lively there to help as opposed to lively you know trying to guard it and beat in the post when he would fall out in approximately 0.5 seconds so i'm i'm hopeful that he could be good i didn't think he had a great summer league uh relative to my expectations i mean that wingspan is is incredible his athleticism is pretty good you know uh i'm not sure how good his feel is but i i would like to see him on that nba space floor getting some lobs from luca early in game so i don't think it's totally insane to start him and it just might be insane to have him close game yes his summer league was a little bit up and down it was better towards the end um but I, but I think the thing that that stood out, the thing that's definitely for real about Lively that I saw in Summer League is his size, is his measurables. Like that dude is a presence. And, and that might be the most important thing. If you're drafting a raw player, you know, you just want to make sure that he is 100% the guy that you can build a, you know, build up and build into the kind of player that that you imagine. And so so I definitely agree. I think think his his foul, uh, you know, his excessive fouling in college is, is definitely something that points to, you know, him just needing more of a feel on the court but yeah they haven't they haven't had you know Dallas has not had a a player like this you know they had Christoph Porzingis and he did not have a presence uh, I I think to the extent that uh Lively may have here in a few years in this league just by sheer physicality and size and uh deterrence really you know that's that's what they're looking for that's what they're ho- hoping not rim protection but you know they they want deterrence and and I think that is something that the team definitely did not have you know they tried to scheme it as much as they could um 
but and they honestly their their shot profile defensively last year it wasn't that bad um they just fouled a lot they they sent so many people to the line that's something that you know yes prosper fouls but if he's pushing more people away from even getting there you know if 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 he's you know making a a someone who you know an, an opponent who has a blow by if he's making him make that pass to the corner uh rather than even trying to to you know go up you know that's something that they just did not have last season and that really hurt them and just to have more size like i talked about how tiny those units were around luca and Kyrie last year to just start with more size let's set a little bit more of a defensive tone generally teams it's like crazy to, to be short when you have a six eight point guard <laughs> Like no, it, it that's is. really I hard mean, to do. And it, it's a hundred percent true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that. So, you know, if they go prosper, Grant Williams, Derek Lively, as they're starting three through five, it might be a little low on shooting potentially, but uh, you know, Luke and Kyrie, hopefully he can still buoy them nonetheless. Um, what else is coach kid against a short out or a sort out, excuse me, rotation wise. I don't know what to make of this, this just jumble of guards. Um, the, the safe bet as far, you know, my expectation is that Seth Curry and Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, for as long as Hardaway's on the team, those are going to be the, the main two, uh, guards. Uh, we're, we talked about Josh Green. We'll kind of put him off to the side in his own little category. Um, but yeah, the, so, so Dallas has, you know, they, they, they sign Seth Curry. He's not going to be healthy. You know, he's going to miss 20 games, uh, you know, which has been pretty typical of him over the past few years. Um, but Seth Curry is a rotation player. You know, I, I don't think that has changed. Hardaway, as long as he's here, um, he's going to be a, a rotation player. I don't think they intended to enter this season with Hardaway still on the roster. Um, I'm pretty sure Hardaway wouldn't mind if, if, if he went off somewhere else, but he's on the team. You know, he's a volume shooter uh, to the extent that they still don't have on the roster. Um, you know, Seth, for as good as Seth Curry is, you know, it, one thing that he's never done is is attempt that really high level of, of you know, three pointers per, you know, per 36. Um, Hardaway is someone who, you know, generates spacing just by, you know, that that willingness to take them. Um, Hardaway is, you know, where, where he's been declining the, the the past few years is that uh, he doesn't get to the rim at all. Um, those numbers are falling and his, his finishing at the rim has, has plummeted even further. Um, and so I, I don't think that's something that's coming back at, at this point of his career, uh, but still a really good shooter behind them. They, they have Jaden Hardy, um, Hardy. I'm kind of, I, I think down the stretch of last year, I kind of turned into a Hardy believer. Um, his, yeah. his three point volume, uh, really impressed me. Uh, just, just all the different ways that he could get off shots, how, how, you know, his willingness to do it. And then the fact that he shot about 40% on them, um, small sample size. He didn't play. I think he played about a thousand minutes. Um, so, so we'll see how much that carry over. It did not carry over to summer league, but you know, if we're taking a small sample size to believe in, I'm going to take the, you know, the one that was 10 times as large in, uh, uh, you know, in, in the past NBA season, than you know, some, some games in, uh, in, in yeah. Vegas, uh, I, I think I, if, I didn't think his summer league was bad either. I mean, the ball didn't really go in right. as well, but I, I thought he looked like he was able to get to where he needed to on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought he looked a little overmatched in, in that extent. Um, okay. You know, I, I think the the best case scenario for the Mavericks is you know if if they're trying to swing the next trade to to bring in a player, um, you know, to pair with Luca and Kyrie, you know, it's probably going to be Hardy going out, and they want to convince some team out there that, oh yeah, this is a future number one, you know, or has future number one potential. And, you know, that's, 
you know, maybe, maybe not. Uh, I think he's right now, he looks more in like the Anthony Simons role, but, but I, I was really struck by his finishing as well. Like he, he's someone who attempted and, you know, was able to lodge people at the rim, uh, in and around the rim, like, you know, a lot of different finishing types, uh, a couple really impressive dunks, uh, for someone who I think coming out, you know, one of the reasons he slipped is that he wasn't seen as, you know, the, the best athlete and, you know, he doesn't have eye popping athleticism, but certainly he has very functional athleticism. Um, I'm not sure that there's a rotation role for him when the team's fully healthy. I'm just not sure how but much the team. That's really interesting. To yeah. Because it, it seems, I mean, they need a third guy who can dribble, right? I, I guess they went into last year without a third guy who could dribble. But like, it seems to me like if he, I would be giving him every opportunity to try to be, you know, that secondary ball handler next to Kyrie uh, or Luca. Uh, do you feel he's not up for that? I mean, I think Josh Green kind of is in that role. Uh, if he can make that loop, um, it, it's just you, you start running out of out of minutes to to assign. Um, yeah, you know, if, if the, there are actually a lot of guys here, this is right. a, a, maybe a deeper team than I had given credit for initially. Yeah, again, deep with like eighth and ninth men, ideally. <laughs> yeah. You know, if if, you, if you're if you're a team aiming for for deep postseason success, but yeah. they are very deep. They have a you know, it's very different than last season. They were not deep last season, and and they've kind of changed that around. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Like think through the rotation though with me, and and let's just say let's just say it is lively and prosper in the starting lineup, just because that's the you know it's we spend a lot of time talking about that. Are you going to round out the you know the next three with Seth Curry, Josh Green, Maxi Kleba, and Dwight Powell, um, or maybe it's Holmes over Powell? I mean that's a nine man rotation right there. Uh, Maxi is is going to play. Tim Hardaway is going to play. Um, you know this is this is a nine man rotation if Hardaway gets traded in January or February. Um, otherwise, you know he's part of that guard trio that's coming off the bench. Um, Curry's going to miss time. Luke is going to miss time. Um, Kyrie missed time last season. Um, I, I think Hardy makes a lot of sense as a plug and play for any time Kyrie misses or any time Seth Curry misses or any time Tim Hardaway misses. There's a lot of plug and play ability uh, with him. And, and so I think he's very useful. But yeah, I, I'm just not sure I see enough minutes for him to be playing every single night when this team is healthy, which, you know, that's the thing. They won't be. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I was thinking of him as like they're like the way their team is built that they just kind of have to play him. But I, I guess they, they figured out ways around that before. I, we haven't I, mentioned the name Dante Exum either. I, like, I, I do think that there's Derek Jones Jr. As is the I other. go through it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. D- Derek Jones Jr. Yeah. Holmes. I mean, I think there are, that's 13 guys that I think are at least like, you know, have a possibility of being okay in a rotation and not all of them are going to hit, but I do think that there's even like a Derek Jones Jr. Like maybe he revives next to Luca and with some actual spacing, which he just, he really needs because he can't shoot at all. And in Chicago, like they didn't have that for him and and Exum, like, I mean, he still can guard the ball. Like he can at least dribble the ball up. You know, maybe he could be that third ball handler. I don't think he's 
going to be like a main pick and roll threat but if he he makes shots and defend i mean they desperately need that skill set maybe he could be a, a guy who's a, comes in and, and like tries to turn off the water on some of the great on-ball guards in the league so so there are like there are buttons for jason kidd to push as a guy who likes to push buttons uh you know this is not ba- back in the halcyon days of 22 you know they basically had six or seven guys that they even were willing to think about playing and and uh one of those guys was like neil keener josh green and and the other one was justin Boston. holiday like amazing yeah well oh, oh yeah yeah last year they had him yeah i was talking about in the uh no oh, you're right you're right yeah, yeah, yeah. Run. they still were very they were very thin now there are there are like guys that they can throw in so i, I think i think it'll be good for this team to have like a real competition uh for roles yeah yeah that that was you know it's not the reason last season was such an utter failure but it did not help that they were playing Theo Pinson and Justin Holiday and Davis Bertans. You know, like these guys were, you know, at least one of them down the stretch when, when injuries hit were in the rotation every night. Uh, JaVale McGee was glued to the bench for all the reasons that he deserved to be. Uh, Frank Nilakina, like you mentioned, you know, was, was occasionally getting looks. Uh, having a deeper team, um, you know, that definitely matters. Uh, they were tragic last season whenever Luca sat. Um, I want to say they lost their first nine games without Luca. Uh, some of them intentional rest nights. So for them to have Kyrie and for them to have a, a deeper team that can, you know, get Luca some time off, uh, I, I think that definitely helps, uh, what this team is able to do. Um, you know, like they had Campazzo last season, very early in the season. Uh, they were running him out for like 25, 30 minutes on, Kemba on Luca Walker, rest the Kemba Walker era. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was. It didn't make sense to go into last season with as little depth as they did, especially with ball handling. Um, and, and Hardy spent time early in the G League, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, he needed to. I don't think he could have been the late season Hardy early in the year. Uh, it never made sense to me why they went into the last season like they did. And, you know, a lot of things hurt them last season, but that's, you know, if, if they had six more wins, if they had gone six and three instead of oh and nine, if they had gone five and four, they're not missing the playoffs. And maybe it worked out for the best because they got to, drafted players that you know they they desperately needed this wasn't a team that was going to be good enough to um you know do much in the playoffs even if they had got there but uh you know that was something that really hurt them last season when you're just thinking about it you know in an all-encompassing way yeah you know we haven't really discussed luca or Kyrie's game at all uh you know i don't know that we need to get into it. i think people are pretty familiar with those guys uh, you know obviously there's a volatility with Kyrie. he certainly seems very happy so far like they gave him the contract that he wanted we'll see you know if things do implode at all this season you know, whether that lasts or not or whether Kyrie can conti- or uh, contributes to that implosion just quickly though the one thing i want to ask you about those guys uh luca what type of shape does he seem to be in since that was a storyline early last year Seems to be in great shape, you know, played basketball, but a lot of talking and people around him talking about how, you know, just, you know, he didn't have fun last season. And, you know, it's it was disappointed with himself, disappointed with the way that he he kind of kept in shape. Um, I, I don't know if we're going to see uh, bubble Luca back, per se, where he was getting to the rim as, you know, at a rate at like a LeBron James rate. But uh, I, I do think that he from everything I hear, he's he's in good shape. The question with him always is he's come into seasons before in good shape and then just got worn down and uh, that changed about halfway through. I, I think that's the big question, but I expect him in, in very good shape to start this year. All right. Any other strengths and weaknesses that we haven't hit on yet for these guys? Hmm. You know, I, I think I think the depth, um, you know, we I guess we did hit on that. Uh, 
they have uh they have a little bit of their MLE left over for for buyout guys. So I, I don't know if they need yet another player who's probably going to be about the same talent level. Um, but but that's something you know later in the year if if, if needed. Um, you know, just the the youth of the team. Uh, I, I think you know kids talked a little bit about changing the uh, the defensive philosophies of of last year. I don't know how much he meant just like uh, not be bad, which is about <laughs> what I took from last season and what they were trying to do. Obviously, they they had you know some specific plans. It's just nothing worked. But you know, I, I think I think that's uh, something of interest. And beyond that, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a hundred different things, and 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 there's none. You know, I, I'm trying to think of anything else so significant that it should be mentioned here and nothing's really coming to mind so um let's see for me here coaching is an interesting one uh, jason kidd certainly when he was hired the, the idea was he would bring more of an emotional regulation to the team and, and of course uh, mark cuban was familiar with him you know, things really imploded for him in milwaukee uh, when he was fired the defense didn't really make any sense and it was quite shocking i would say to me that they had really when you consider their talent level one of the better defensive playoffs that I can recall going up against two pretty good offenses in the those first two rounds. They beat both those teams uh, as underdogs. And then, uh, of course, uh, last year it wasn't very good. And I, I, there wasn't really, to me, a ton to recommend uh, from Jason Kidd and his staff's coaching a year ago. And we saw in Milwaukee, they had some shooting luck, but they had a great defense his first year. And then they really fell off from there. And it seemed like, you know, he's a little bit of a prickly personality. He'll challenge guys a little bit in the media. So that's a big question to me of like, which one is the outlier, year one or year two for Jason Kidd? Yeah. Yeah, the the players really do love him. Um, well, <laughs> Christian Wood, notwithstanding, uh, you know he he is a he is a player first coach. He has been that. He has mellowed in in some ways. I agree. I don't think he won the team a lot of advantages last season. Uh, this was a team that frequently failed to get you know game tying or game winning shots off, or the ones that they did were very uh, very poor. Some of that is Luca. Some of that is Luca's preferences. You know, only wanting to play the way he plays, and you know, in that specific context or or a situation, the way he wants to play on a game winning shot is a step back three from the left side. I'm not sure yeah. any coach uh, could have coached Luca last season or or got more out of. Let me rephrase this. I, I'm not sure Luca was wanting or or looking to be coached last season. Um, I think if there is somebody who can get through and instill some better habits in him, it may be Jason Kidd. I don't know if that's enough to make up for the you know the the ways that he you know I think hurt the team or, or didn't get the most out of them last season. But I do think that he has a very close relationship with Kidd. Um, and and it's just something that didn't flourish in terms of overriding some of Luca's really bad habits last season because i'm not sure any coach could have done that um yeah beyond that i mean it's he's he's on the same trajectory as milwaukee you know like you, you spelled it out but the, but it's the same trajectory now you know the thing about trajectories you know they they change they can change uh it's he's not doomed to you know have a worse year three just like he did in milwaukee just because he did in milwaukee but um, I, I think that's one question. And, and I think, you know, I, I, I guess the, the coach firing, um, which to be clear, you know, I'm not suggesting it's, it's on the horizon or it's even, even, you know, even something that would happen this season. But, 
when you have a superstar who seems like he's headed on the way out, you know, one commonality about how teams react to that is, you know, they fire the head coach and they replace them with the with the one that the star wants. And so I, I guess at worst, um, you know, if if kid doesn't improve, that's something that the Dallas front office has in their pocket to, you know, try to entice him to change. But, you know, the easiest way to keep him is to win games and play better. And I, I think kid getting that out of this group that has a lot of questions as as we've kind of worked through has a lot of moving parts a lot of players that could theoretically be in the rotation or not in the rotation uh, i do think there's a lot of pressure or focus on how he does with all that this season so a couple other weaknesses i mean this has been perpetual with luca and i, I thought it was actually kind of telling that rick carlisle had a team that ran like crazy in indiana after leaving luca that just Kyrie will try to push a little bit in transition you know more maybe even as kind of like a wing attacker in transition but I'll believe it when I see it when these guys get out of like the bottom five in terms of their uh, fast break their their transition percentage offensive rebounding they're not going to get a single offensive rebound I I, well I don't know maybe if they start lively and Grant Williams tries like power in there a little bit maybe but the way Luca likes the floor space you're just you're rarely going to have many rebounders there um let's see you know the shooting is an interesting question i mean they can play some very good shooting lineups but i think if they are going to prioritize defense which i probably would uh i may end up saying that maybe they don't you know that if probably whichever starting lineup they play whether it's prosper a center grant williams or whether that's josh green that's gonna be pretty light on shooting around the two stars so that that would be a slight concern for me but then they can also bring in some guys off the bench to alleviate that yeah that's where my mind goes back to the Josh Green question and what type of player he's going to be. You know, if he can be one of their defensive guys who's also, you know, staying at a 40% shooting range while increasing his volume, you know, he shot very well last season, but, you know, there's still just wasn't enough attempts uh, in my mind for, you know, the, the, the player, the, the, you know, just the type of player that, that earns respect and, and generates spacing from it. So what what he does, I, I think, is a big is a big question mark to me. And then, you know, is Jaden Hardy in the rotation or not? You know, is Tim Hardaway Jr. on the team past February or not? Uh, you know, just just a lot of trickle down questions from from stuff like that. I mean, the, their defense was across the board bad a year ago for uh, bottom 10 in every one of the four factors, despite what you said about their shot profile. But yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to I mean, Luka gets a lot of defensive rebounds, but I don't think they're going to be a great defensive rebounding team. Uh, I don't think they're going to force turnovers at any kind of a reasonable rate. I think the biggest thing they could clean up is possibly the fouling. Maybe, maybe that's the the hope is they can just stay solid a little bit more and, and then not foul quite as much. Who are like the big culprits with the fouling last year? Uh, it was it was a bit of everybody. It was it was just bad perimeter defense blow bys leading to fouls. You know whether yeah, it's a reach in, whether it's a right. you know wh- whether it's a late rotation. You know, but yeah, it's, it's it's a little bit of everybody. It wasn't a single person. It was more about just the 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 team's uh you know lack of keeping people in front who's gonna close for these guys you think before we do our official predictions i would say so we we know it's gonna be luca Kyrie, and grant williams i would still put maxi kleba in there uh as the closing center as he has been uh for the reasons that you know just switchable and you know maxi's another when when we talk about the shooting maxi's another big question you know he he was a 41 percent guy uh two three seasons ago two seasons ago in the past two years he's been more about 35 and he's had some really cold uh stretches and so um if he can bounce back even offensively you know even if he's not going to be as 
much of a you know explosive defender as he's been in the past. I, I think that's a big question for it. But right now, I would say that he's probably your starting center, just as he has been, and or, or clo- closing center, or closing, closing. Thank you, thank yeah. you. Uh, closing center. Um, I think there's some flexibility there. I, I think that it, it may be different centers depending on the night. I, I think the fifth guy may be different depending on the night. Um, Tim Hardaway Jr., just because he's the veteran and he's established and he's there. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the so hope is unexciting. Josh Green. The hope is Josh Green, I think. You know, not, not I think, you know, that's definitely the hope is that he, you know, fully earns that. And it's not even a question, but I kind of still need to see that happen. Yeah. And I'm just really interested to see which way Coach Kid goes because two way play is a weakness. But Kleba, if you are going to play him and if he can have anywhere close to the same impact he's had defensively in the past, you know, again, coming off the hamstring, he did at least have a summer to rest, but at age 31. Thanks to Dennis Schroeder. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, at age 31, you just wonder if the, the, the clock is running out on him because his skill set is so bad, right? Like, if you wanted to play Derek Jones Jr., you could play him with Moxie Cleveland, use Derek Jones Jr. as just a, an incredibly explosive role man, even if the other team wants to put their center on him. Or or if you play Grant and Kleba, then maybe you can have a Josh Green or a Prosper, or even, you know, maybe it's even Dante Exum uh, closing uh, as well. You know, uh, you know I, I don't know that I'd want to go that route with someone at the three who's you know a hardaway junior shooter type because then you don't have enough rim production but maybe you have enough size and versatility you could switch three through five maybe even uh involve luca in that too so so maybe there are like a few lineups they can get to that'd be really good at the end of games i mean that five out spacing with luca and Kyrie. i mean you're just you're not going to be able to handle that defensively um all right let's get to some predictions here i will go first i think top five offense seems pretty good for these guys I am a little worried that there might not be quite enough shooting. Like quietly, this team, despite the well-publicized struggles every year of Reggie Bullock, they quietly were a number eight in the NBA in three-point percentage. Uh, but you know, they Kyrie's a, a, a good shooter. You know, Luca, we'll see where he's at. You know, is he going to be a thirty-four percent guy? Is this the year he finally gets over thirty-five uh, percent again? I think he maybe did that one year. Um, yeah, and then they do. Other than to Kyrie and Luca, I think they at least. Can withstand injuries pretty well to the other guys and so you know i'm not as worried about the health aspect other than those two guys and they're sunk anyway so i think they're probably top five i don't know if they're the best offense in the league like the, some pretty good offenses have been assembled recently i'll have to really think about that but yeah defense i mean what do you think these guys rank in defense i think it's pretty good if they can get to you know 16 17 18 19 and i think yeah low 20s I mean, is clear. um i guess maybe um it's just I think to me, so much of the season hinges. I, I, I think they can, I think they can be an average or slightly below average defense if everything goes right. But I, I think to me, so much of this is about availability and, you know, yeah, they can kind of make up for Kyrie, but it, it's, it's not that they don't have player types to fill in and, and they don't for Luca because he's Luca. Um, sure. it, it's that, you know, the, the, the talent gap between those two and everybody else below them, you know, maybe they can get by a little bit better if, you know, playing a bad team and, and intentionally resting Luca. Um, if that's allowed this season, but it's, it, it does get a little bit harder to, um, you know, just, it's just that sheer talent gap, I, I, I think is, is what I worry about. And, you know, I, I do think Luca and, and, and Kyrie both might miss time. Uh, I'll say, I'll say they can be the, 
I'll say they're the 18th to 24th defense or 17 to 23 right to me. Yeah. And 17 is yeah, pretty guess, good with their offense if they can get there. Well, and that's, I think, I almost think in some ways there's more variability with the offense, which is kind of crazy, but it's like, there's a big difference between being the absolute best offense in the league and being fifth. And so that's where I think me, like, are these guys just could be absolutely dominating offense? Like they could be, uh, like, it's just, it's hard for me to see them getting into the top half of the league. You know, I do think two years ago was an outlier. The guys they relied on to get there aren't there anymore as well. So, I mean, they would really just have to have unbelievable execution, I think, to get in the top half defensively. I mean, they don't have any rim protection. They don't really have a premium wing defender. Like, Luka still causes all these problems like we talked about. So, but I do think the offense will be better than the defense is bad. So, in the end, I'm going to go with 46 wins. Wow. You are over where I'm going to put them. I I, I think Luka's too good. Like, I, I think we just, we, we've, it's easy to lose sight of that. And I think he's going to come in motivated and, hey, you know what? If this is kind of the beginning of the end in Dallas, I think he's going to want to go out with like having left it all out there. Oh, I, I definitely agree with that. And the best case scenario for this team is that this is Luka's best season ever, you know, ever, but <laughs> the best season of his career thus far. I think there is a very I real mean, possibility of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It should be. And if it is, you know, to have a player who already carried this team for the most part to the playoffs to 45 wins every season uh, for him to be better, um, you know, that it's hard for me to bet against that. Um, just worried. I'm just worried he's going to miss time. I'm just worried that things around the organization on and off the court are going to drag him down. Um, that those are those are things that concern me. And so I don't know. The number I had was 44, 44 and 38. Um, only four teams in the West. I think the other big reason I'm kind of thinking this way is like only four teams in the West were better than that. 44 and 38 was the fifth seed last year. Um, you know, there's so much talent in the league and there's such parity beneath Denver, um, in Phoenix in the West that, you know, I think 44 and 38 could be a really successful season for them. Uh, even if everything is, is going correctly. So, you know, if Luca's that good and, and I absolutely know and believe how good Luca is. Um, and I, and I think this, you know, saying it again, I, I genuinely believe this could be a MVP sensational, you know, is he the best player in the world season? Yeah, they have a higher ceiling than that. Uh, but I think at most is probably by a win or two. Um, so 46 isn't crazy to me. I'll, I'll go 44 and 38 and I'll, I'll lock that in. All right. Well, you are under the 44 and a half. At least that's what I saw when we did it a couple weeks ago. Under that over under, I, I am over it. Yeah, I think I like these guys better than a Minnesota and a New Orleans. Like Luke, That's fair. I mean, if Luca's out there, like they're going to just be an awesome offense unless they just have no shooting around him whatsoever. And, you know, I think the defense will still be higher than your, you know, your shitty tanking type. I probably would. I'd probably go 45 if I hadn't locked it in. So, <laughs> but I do this every <laughs> oh, time. I convince you now yeah. you could. Hey, yeah. I love as a former lawyer that I, I like nothing better than convincing people. If you, you want to go 45, <laughs> uh, I will absolutely change it. I will write a note in the sheet that I convinced you. And fine, let's do 45. Uh, the thing that the thing that. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that was rattling through my head was the stat I brought up earlier where they're 0-9 in Luca's first nine games and the idea that they cannot possibly be that bad with the amount of depth they have. Again, it's a huge issue anytime Luca misses, but they can get him some rest. They can survive a little bit better than they did last season. Um and we'll see now Kyrie's availability and you know even injury wise you know that's that's equally a, a question here. Um but uh but yeah, let's say 45 so be it. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I hope they're relevant again this year. I mean, Luca is just too good. Gary is too good uh, 
honestly, for them to be you know completely out of, of the playoff mix. So uh, where can we keep up with uh, your Mavs work as we find out what does in fact happen to these guys? Uh, it's just at The Athletic, which... Uh, I know you guys know where to find that. And then Tim underscore Cato on Twitter. Uh, I told myself I'm going to tweet a little bit more this year because uh, just kind of kind of stop tweeting. But, you know, if I have a thought, let it fly. Why not? Uh, yeah. Why not? I, I mean, like, it doesn't like actually affect who you get dunked on on Twitter. Like, it doesn't affect our work at all. Who, who cares? Uh, like, I think there are more people who are just, you know, especially people who actually like follow you and know you. It's why not? Why not? Exactly. I mean, I, I just got dunked on today recording this podcast and, you know, it felt pretty good. So bring it on. <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll, we'll uh, looking forward to hanging out this season. Awesome. Thanks again. For sure. Thanks, Dane. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, it's time to speak about the Utah Jazz uh, with one David Locke, radio man and the founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. How are you doing, man? I'm great. Look forward to it. Always look forward to this. Hopefully I hold up my end of the bargain because I am super appreciative of your 29 previews that I used to prep throughout the entire NBA season and catch all the time in the future, though, I would like to see. I know you started with Brad Hull, uh, Roland of the Atlanta Hawks um, of Lockdown Hawks. I would like to check and see if in the future, if I could get you to go in order of the jazz schedule. So I would appreciate if you would have started with the Clippers <laughs> and then moved to the Sacramento Kings in our opening night opponent and then maybe to Phoenix and Denver and Memphis and Orlando and Minnesota so that I could have gotten all my prep done for the opening few weeks of the season by listening to your shows. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you do your work early, so I I will. Uh, I, I guess uh, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, we might even have a king one coming, coming. I'll send you. Time. I'll send you a request next year when the minute the schedule comes out. I'll tell you the order by which I would like the dunked on previews to come out. Yeah, well, this the order this year was who has the least time difference from where I am in Europe to where we have more than a one hour window that would work for recording. Uh, well, maybe when I was in Europe, we should have done it together. Who knows? I don't know where you were compared to where I was. Um, all right, let's let's uh, let's talk a little bit of Utah Jazz. And this is another team that I think is a little hard to get a handle on. Would you think, would you say it's fair to say we haven't really seen the bulk of this group together? Sure. I, I think, you know, like you kind of had the question, like how good were they last year? Like, I don't know two things. I, one, don't know how good they were last year. And then I also don't know how bad they were last year. Right. Because so there's the pre February 9th trade when they were the ranked in the league 14th offensively, 27th defensively. They were pretty good, right? And they opened the year really, really good with Mike Conley, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt, Mikhail Alexander Walker, and they all get moved. And then after that, the Jazz are the 24th ranked offense for the second half from February 9th on, moving from the 10th best shooting team to the 21st and moving to 28th in turnovers. But at the same time, the defense went and got a good deal better. And then at the same time, Jordan Clarkson didn't really play at the end of the year and Larry Markin didn't really play at the end of the year and Walker got in the concussion didn't play at the end of the year. So it's actually really hard for me to tell, even in that stretch where the numbers aren't very good, were they that bad? So I'm not sure if I understand if they were as good as they were early in the year or if they were actually as bad as they were at the end of the year. 
And so it's really hard for me to try to figure out what they're going to be entirely this year. Um, what I don't think we've really seen is, you know, Walker, Kessley, Lowry, Markin, and Jordan Clarkson and whomever is going to be the other guard. Or And then certainly with John Collins being new, that, that'll be new. But I don't know. There's some numbers that make you wonder, like Lowry and Walker together, plus six. Jordan, Lowry, and Walker together, plus four. Lowry, Kelly, and Walker together, plus five. Like their main lineups were all really good together. Yeah, that's true. And, and of course, what drove their success pre-deadline was a top five offense, which uh, I can fairly say I did not see coming <laughs> last I year. I would agree. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, with Mike Conley gone and you know also Walker Kessler moving into more of a role, like he offensive rebounds, he can finish around the rim, but, you know, he doesn't quite have the same uh, spacing element that maybe some of those lineups with the Linux at center had uh, that I think were driving a, a reasonable amount of their success early and so i guess you could say well who are the holdovers there's clarkson markinen Olinick. that's basically it from that group that was so good offensively to start the season colin sexton was a part of it i think you know they were very conservative with colin sexton last year 20 minutes a night he was coming off a knee surgery their doctors basically kind of was like hey get him through the year and then his chance of injury re-injury drops at a, a dramatic level so the goal all year with Colin was just to get him to the finish line mm-hmm. um, and and reduce his minutes, reduce his time. But he was – so it was a kind of you were getting uh, sexed in light, shall we call it. Um, but they, he was actually – he was pretty impactful offensively. He, he They found a way to use him in a way um, that helped them a good deal. So I would, I would add him a little bit into that group of guys that was impactful offensively. Yeah, I guess I had forgotten that he didn't really go down until uh, – uh, I think it was just slightly before the all-star break. And then he, had he only the, played one game after that. Yeah. He had the two hamstring uh, strains that happened during the year. And when the second one happened, it just got close enough to the finish line that they didn't do much with him, but he played the first 27 games of the year. And he really had hit a stride right before that hamstring. I think if I recall, and I'm doing this a little bit off the top of my head, so I apologize to anyone who's wrong, but my the final like eight, 10 games of that, I think it was at about 16 points a game off the bench. He was back up to almost 30 minutes a night in that stretch. Um, and then when the hamstring happened, then they really kind of curled him. They brought him back down. And then the like, same thing happened. He actually got kind of hot right again and then had the hamstring go in Memphis. Um, I think the five games before that, he was back up to 30 minutes and uh, about 18, 20 points a game. So there were these two stretches with Colin where Will Hardy maximized him in a way that was really impressive. Speaking of the holdovers, you know, I think that this team, if they are going to be, you know, a top half of the league offense, that a lot of that goes through Larry Markkinen. And, and he was certainly a revelation a year ago. And, you know, I, I thought it, he's he's a guy who going forward, I think, may even be underrated because he's got some defensive versatility, but he also can play off the ball so well, shoot the ball, you know, play in transition. He can attack goals. It's like he can really play now in any system and, and off of any type of players. And he started to do more on the ball uh, with the departure of Conley. So you said something on Danny's podcast a couple of weeks ago that I thought was interesting. I wanted you to elaborate on. You brought up the idea that Larry Markkinen could take another leap this season. How could that happen to you realistically? So I think there's like four players that are on my list of kind of next making the jump that Shea made last year. So that's like a really, really good player that then burst themselves into what would you give Shea top 12, 13 in the NBA at this point kind of player? Yeah, at a minimum. Right. 
So I, my four, Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, Donovan Mitchell, and Lowry Markkinen. I, I'm actually not sure how Donovan can be much better than he was last year. He was really pretty outstanding. But for Markkinen, I think that is just understanding he's going into the season as the number one option, which he is, he really didn't. There's this like story of Will Hardy kind of stopping a shooter, a, a film session last year and being like, everyone knows that like Lowry's the best player, right? Like everyone's got it here. Like Lowry's our best player. We're going to Lowry. And I think Lowry had to learn that a little bit. I asked Lowry the other day if he believed in himself more after last season. He says, I've always believed in myself, which is probably the right answer. Um, but I still wonder if that might be the case a little bit, that he has a little bit more belief in him. Then And then how does he do it? You know, I think, you know, you just do it. It's so subtle, right? Like how does... Is it going from 26 to, to 29 points a game suddenly gets him? Is it just um, two passes where he suddenly makes his teammates better, right? He had a career high assist last year, but it was 1.9. Does he get yeah. that to 2.9? Well, that's a pretty, like, that's actually a considerable difference. Does he suddenly get himself to six and a half or seven free throws a game instead of the six? Like, it's just, it's so inc- small at this point for him. Um, frankly, he took 17 shots a night. I think he could take 20. Like, I, I, there's just, that could actually do it all by itself. He suddenly takes 20 shots a night and then he's up at 28, 29 points a game and he's a bigger impact on the games than he has been. Yeah, I think, you know, he still had 65% of his twos assisted. Do you think it's realistic that that number would go down, that he's going to do more self-created, unassisted work? So I love that number. Great job, Nate. Um, that's super. Um, I'm not sure I had that. So tip of the hat and it just will go into my, it will be written down right here and then go into my notes for the play-by-play. But I think that is it, right? I talking to Lowry the other day, he talked about them trying to work on footwork to create separation. So yeah, it's a little bit of an isolation game. Can you get in the ball at the elbow and have him go to work? Can you get in the ball 15, 16 feet out, have him go to work? Um, a little bit is also that the Jazz ran, I think the fourth most amount of off-ball screens of any team in the league last year, fifth most amount of off-ball screens in the league on anyone last year. And, and third before the trade deadline. So, you know, part of the reason he's not most of us were assisted is that's actually the offense, right? This is not a team that was running a lot of high pick and roll. They were running pin downs for Lowry, bringing him off double staggers, bringing him off things. And he's catching the ball on the, on the move. So, so maybe this ability to do some of that, you know, get some action without doing that. Well, and I think too, we kind of have this idea of self-create. Okay, that's isolation and post up and pick and roll, right? And I think, you know, that off-screen stuff, I mean, some of it, you know, it can be handoff, it could be off-screen. I mean, that's, it's technically, maybe it's assisted if he catches it on the move and and takes one or two dribbles and gets to the basket or pulls up or he, uh, the guy goes over the top of the screen, he flares to the corner, he shoots the three. But I, that's still kind of self-created to me. You know, like that pass is not like the, not providing a lot of value added that kind of rondo assist to get him. I mean, it's an important skill but that's you need the guy to have the skill level coming off the screen to get open and then that is something that can create openings for everyone else so i do think that the idea that 65 percent of his twos were assisted which i think is a pretty high number for you know a lot of primary scores although as you get more into bigs it's probably more common so i, I the thing one of the things i like about lowry is just how many ways there are for him to attack but i do think that you know against switches 
and you know going to work in isolations like isolation the numbers are really good post up they're pretty poor but you know still just not uh, overall that was less than 10 percent uh actually a little bit more than 10 percent post up and isolation together of uh, his scoring attempts so yeah I, I think it's pretty obvious that there would be a possibility for him to uh, improve there particularly with the idea that this is what we're going to feature in camp there's an interesting number on his isolations he starts the year as one of the best in the nba and he finishes the back half of the year as one of the worst in the nba Hmm. And so, you know, does he find some common ground there on the isolations as the Jazz made some of those trades and less guys were on the floor and there was less space on the floor? Um, he was unable. He did not have the same success. There's there's some aspects to this team. And I don't know how it impacts Lowry, but you know, they really don't have many off the bounce three point shooters. Right. They they really are kind of a catch and shoot driven three point team. They don't have many off, above the break three point shooters other than Lowry. And now Lowry's pretty incredible at the above the break three where the guy's actually seeming to be on him. And he's just seven foot one. And so he can just shoot over the top of from any spot on the floor. And he's strong enough to make those shots. Um, and he was really great. I think he hit 50 percent of his corner threes for the entire year last year. But there's some things on this offense where I'm not entirely sure how they're going to do things like how it's. You know, off the bounce threes usually come off the pick and roll. Well, they did not run a lot of pick and roll, so maybe that's why. Um, but does that develop this year in any way? I think they were 26 last year in the amount of picks they ran. Um, so there's just some aspects of I'm going to be curious to see how does Lowry marketing get space if he starts the game with John Collins and Walker Kessler on the floor at the same time. So I think that, though, frankly, he was on the court with Jared Vanderbilt for a lot of last year who d- doesn't have spacing. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where Low- how Lowry gets his shots and if it's any different than it was a year ago. Now, I do think there is some possibility of regression with the jump shot. You know, this is his age 25 season, and uh, this was his second highest three-point percentage. He'd only been over 36% once uh, in his last year in Chicago, and certainly the shot diet was much more difficult. Like, he took a big leap, but he clearly was a better shooter a, a year ago, and you know, especially looking at uh, his three-point attempts for 36, well, he was up there pretty high in Chicago, too. Um, and then he shot really career highs from just about every area on the floor. Now, the stuff getting to the rim, like he is just a great finisher. I mean, that's one of the most underrated things. Like, he had some huge poster dunks, like over 100 dunks on the season. Just one of the rare players. I, I can't remember whether it like had never been done or it was extremely rare for a guy to have over 100 dunks and the number of threes that he had as well. So that is a pretty rare skill set. But I, I do think maybe from the shooting perspective on the jumper, there could be some regression. I don't see it, though, necessarily happening, happening elsewhere. So it's interesting on the three-point shot. I looked at that too. My the notes I had is, is if you broke it down by corner and above the break, his above the break numbers were almost exactly the same as what they have been his entire career. They're all I think every single year has been 36 or 37% on above the break threes. And he was right there again. What he did is he hit 50% of his corner threes last year, which that led me to think the same thing you were about the regression. And then I went back to the 2021 season. He hit 50% of his 53% of his corner threes. So I do think he, I do think, you know, he hit his last four years on corner threes were 45, 53, 39, 40, 50. Like, so he's, you know, the regression is somewhere in the 40. If he regresses, it's to 44, 45 from 50. It's not, it's not like he's going to suddenly become a 35 and his above the break has been the same for four years. So on the jump shooting, I, I'm not sure I see that. I thought his shot distribution was a little different just because he, in Cleveland, they just had him sitting out there shooting threes, right? Didn't he yeah. take something like over half of his shots in the last two years in both Cleveland and Chicago were just three point shots. And that, while it still took a lot of threes last year, he just took a lot more shots near the basket last season than he 
had in the years past. Well, and the free throw rate went up a ton yeah. as well. That that was the other thing. I, he, I think just dude, yeah. I was just saw Michelangelo's David. Like I saw it, and then he walked into the locker room, into the press room the other day, and I saw it again. Like the dude is just like <laughs> the most perfect built seven foot one chiseled like his power and strength is truly unbelievable think you could play any center at all this year yeah i thought i mean i think he was the fifth best rim defender in the nba last year yeah let me see what what seth's stats uh were on on that while you're talking but yeah that yeah, i mean, I mean that, my, my that memory would be is, fascinating so i have a note on and i like him as our backup center actually that's that's something i've talked about now i think john collins since the acquisition may do, do, do that i think the i had the the best uh, Brooke Lopez, Jaron Jackson, Draymond Green, Walker Kessler, and Lowry Markinen, uh were the five best rim defenders last year inside six feet in the NBA. Um, so I do think Lowry could play center. Maybe with a Linux is the four. Um, I don't know who your three is at that point. Um, but I, I do actually, I've always thought that Lowry Markinen would be the backup center to Walker Kessler on this team. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that and that is something that could maybe if if that's something that happens a lot, or even if they were to close games that way, and you know whether you're going to call Collins or Markin in the center, you know maybe that could be a group. I know they're very high analytic and, and they want to run a lot through him from a passing standpoint as well. But uh, I mean that could be very interesting. Uh, surely they're not going to start Lowry at center or anything like that. But I think to have that ability at the end of games uh, would be something that's very interesting. And yeah, as as you were noting, he was uh, near the top uh, of uh, Seth's stats. Uh, for the fact that he's a power forward uh in, in terms of uh his rim protection numbers a year ago um so yeah i, I mean marketing surely you know him taking another leap to being you know a clear top 20 top 15 sort of player like that's one way that these guys could really exceed expectations everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's probably just time to go through who's on this team, who's in the rotation, uh, and you know, who might start, who might be the backup. So let's start in the backcourt. Uh, can we start on the frontcourt? Because I don't know on the backcourt. Okay. <laughs> so well, um, that, I was more interested in the backcourt. That's why. That's why I wanted to start there. So I, I, I th- in the backcourt, in the frontcourt, I think Walker Kessler, Kelly Olynyk, and John Collins probably are defining that group of whatever you know 90 some odd whatever it is minutes uh 40 or probably 100 and whatever minutes those i think you know you might then they have omar uh, omir yurk seven from the um miami heat is a possible backup center and taylor Hendricks, the ninth pick of the draft and those two guys could probably get some other minutes there lowry is really your three on this roster now does he play some five does he play some four He'll start as the three, I think, with John Collins and with Walker Kessler is my guess on the starting lineup. And then Kelly comes in on the on the. But you never know. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how much the Jazz are willing to play Walker and John Collins together if they really turn out to be two non shooters. If John Collins doesn't shoot better on the who backs up Lowry Markinen could be Luka Samanich, who they have on a non guaranteed contract. Could be Simone Fontecchio in his second year. I, I don't know. Or could be a little Ochai Abaji, and then you're playing more guards because you have this this gaggle of guards on this roster of 
Chris Dunn, who had a fabulous final 22 games last year and is on a non-guaranteed to the rookie Keontae George to Taylor Horton Tucker, who averaged 18 points and six assists to close the year last year as the point guard to two very similar players in Colin Sexton and Jordan Clarkson. And Will Hardy said at the kind of media day that he doesn't view it as a point guard and a shooting guard. He believes them in playing pairs and how they complement each other. Uh, And, and I, 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 the, the statistical best pair amongst the group last year was Taylor Horton Tucker and Jordan Clarkson. Now, is that our starting backcourt? I I have not the slightest idea. Most of the year, I've kind of thought it was Jordan Clarkson and Ochai Abaji um, because then Ochai Abaji could guard the best offensive player on the other team. But then all of a sudden, Will Hardy talked a lot about how he wants to have multiple ball handlers and different guys bringing it up and them not turning, looking to one guy. Well, Ochai is not much of a ball handler. Like if he's starting, you're turning, giving the ball to Jordan to bring up every time. Um, and so I, I don't really, I'm not entirely sure what they plan to do and, and what that guard line is going to be. And Will Hardy even went so far to say is he thinks it'll be a little bit of a hunger games of a training camp because there will be such a fight for minutes in that group. Yeah, and I think like, Abaji and Horton Tucker actually, you're, when you're talking about those pairs, kind of make a little bit of sense uh, to me uh, because uh, Abaji can kind of shoot it pretty well. Horton Tucker maybe has the size to guard some small forwards. I don't think he's an elite option there necessarily, but he's probably uh, the best they've got is like, you know, just the size of a small forward. Uh, with well, his and he's got a 7-1 wingspan, so it helps. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I mean, that's to me, when you look at this roster, the biggest hole is, you know, I like Markin is very capable of playing the three. He was very effective there. A year ago, that does give you a lot of size and maybe you can punch above your weight defensively because you have that there but i also think like he can obviously hold up fine as a four or a five and ideally i like guys to kind of play the biggest position that they can handle defensively to, to help your offense but they just don't have a traditional three really on this roster and you know as danny h thinks about building this team that's the biggest thing in addition to maybe you know that pure point guard type of guy although they might have that guy we'll talk about that but uh that that's the biggest hole that i see right now and that's something that you know having that guy kind of makes everything easier to just plug in at the three and that's why i think will hardy is going to go so many different combinations yeah do you have i mean what's if you had this group what would you start is the backcourt well, I'd like to answer it after preseason. No, you're not allowed to do that. But but right now, based on Summer League, I would just say, fuck it, we're going to start Keontae George and, and Jordan Clarkson. Let's go. I think I think it's a possibility. I just think Keontae George has to kick everyone's butt and leave no doubt. Yeah. Well, I mean, because a lot of times it doesn't work that way, right? Like if you're the younger guy that who the team has more investment in with greater potential, a lot of times that guy gets kind of the little nudge if the competition is close you don't feel it would be that way necessarily no my feeling from my feeling from will is he just with this team and the way it is he wants very very competitive competition inside as he keeps saying inside the team construct that's been the phrase he's used right it's fine if we all want to kill each other and fight for minutes but it's got to be inside the team construct I think that falls apart the minute there's a feeling that one guy's just getting the minutes. One guy's just been given minutes. If you give someone minutes, then the other guys aren't inside the team construct anymore. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that that is the concept. Now, if, if, 
Keontae George leaves, no doubt, then Keontae George leaves, no doubt. He's supposedly been very impressive in open gym. He was very impressive against the Frankie Ferraris of the world of Summer League and some that were better than that. But they, let's not forget that Frankie Ferrari plays in Summer League. I love that name. So I just say it all the time. Uh, so I think that that's, you know, that's part of it. Right. And but he has looked really good. And there are some aspects like when I look at our the Jazz roster and, and break it down, like I just talked about how they, they don't have any real guys that shoot the bu- pull up three. Right. Like Clarkson shot 34 percent on the off the bounce three. Taylor Horton Tucker shot 28 Lowry shot 39, Sexton shot 43 the entire year. He doesn't, it's not part of his game. Like if you believe that the above the break kind of off the bounce three has to be a part of your offense repertoire, you know, Ochai Abaji was eight of 34 on those shots last year for 24%. The guy who might be the best already is Keontae George on the off the bounce three. If you think about, do you need above the break three point shooters? Like Lowry's good at 36%. We just talked about, but Clarkson's 33, Olenek's 38, Horton Tucker's 28, Simone Fenteki's 31, Collins 38, but again, only 96 attempts. Ochai Abaji was 28%. Luka Samanich was 26%. Like those are statistically two huge gaps in this offense. They might be something Keontae George can do. Can you take us through for for those of uh, uh, people who maybe you know weren't that tuned in during summer league uh, and you know didn't scout uh, Keontae George? Just kind of give us give us a summary of why there is uh, so much optimism about him. Uh, Donovan Mitchell summer league four year five seven years ago. <laughs> like that's what it was. I mean, it was kind of the exact same thing. Like he came in, he like. Well, his first half, his first game, he was kind of awful, frankly. And then, and then the second half, he kind of established himself and then he just got going. And then he was just thinking, you know, I think he put 30 something on the board. He averaged in a game, he averaged 22.6 assists and three rebounds. Um, he was, he was super. Now I'm just not the biggest summer league guy. Like, like I always like to remember that D- Damian Lillard and Josh Shelby were co-players of the year in the same summer league. Yeah. I, I think you got to look at it through, through the right lens. Uh, I mean, if you're bad in summer league, it's not a great sign. I, I would I would say right. that particularly if you're a guard. Yeah, I mean, um, if you're young, I mean, he didn't shoot like lights out. I think his Salt Lake shooting numbers were not very good. They got better when he right. got to Vegas. Yeah. Um, but he was good. Like he was really, really good. And the bigger thing is that he's his body's different. He's lost he, at Baylor. He played heavier. He kind of had to play some three at Baylor and he had the bounce to him. I mean, it, it was more of the look, frankly, than the numbers. The numbers tell a story because they work, but there was just a, there was just a look to him, right? Um, he was just bl- obviously the best player on the floor. I think it was against the, ah, uh, shoot. It might have been against the Clippers when he had 33 and 10 that he just, he just was so visibly better than anyone else out there and, and, you know, looked the part and looked together. And, and even just in general, talking to him the other day, there is just a really kind of adult uh, confidence to him that on one level he says, hey, I want to be rookie of the year. And on the other level, he talks about, hey, I've got to keep it, you know, calm and understand it's a process. And he's in under. So it does feel as though he's kind of heading, he's just got his head on his shoulders and, and seems to be in the right spot. Yeah, he got himself, I think, to being a solid athlete with the weight that he lost. And he's got pretty decent length, pretty good size if you're thinking of him as a point guard. And again, I mean, I, you know, other than I mean, part of why I say stardom is just like there isn't really that other pure point guard. And Clarkson, to me, took wonderful strides a year ago as a passer. But it's still, you know, that's that's not his his number one thing necessarily. And you know, Kelly Olenek, it's good to run some stuff through him, but he has some defensive limitations and probably some minutes limitations at this point in his career as well so yeah I mean I realize he's a rookie and I realize that 
people want to see him but i think you know he's probably the closest thing they have to a pure point guard on the roster in terms of how they're going to play unless you're going to get into like the horton tuckers or duns of the world i think there's a better chance that happens by game 30 than there's a ch- by game one sure no I, I think i think you're probably right like I, I the way i said the reason i was like fuck it is because i don't think that's gonna actually happen it's kind of a little bit of a yolo move uh but you know if, if he continues to play well i, I can understand it um yeah if, if not him i think i probably would just go with the the clarkson abaji group and maybe you can give larry markin in a little bit more ball handling responsibility and just try to maybe set more of a defensive tone uh, at the beginning of games a lot of coaches like to kind of play that way and then you can sort of fill your offensive players in as the the teams go to their benches abaji is an instrument to me for a few reasons one his greatest quality is who he is as a person and his maturity the second one is that when I filled out my first kind of quest to build our lineups and our rotations, I think I had him play 44 minutes. And then at the same time, because I just felt you needed him on the floor all the time. And then at the same time, if you asked me if I was totally certain he was a rotation player in the NBA, I think my answer is, yeah, I think he's a rotation player in the NBA because he's got the most gorgeous six foot five, you know, NBA body. But I, I don't totally know yet. So he's this interesting mix of like what you want him to be is this indispensable guy that you're going to have out on there for 44 minutes. I'm not entirely sure he's proven that he is that yet. Yeah. You know, is, is asking him to be, you know, and I think he has more offensive potential and athleticism than this, but, you know, a Reggie Bullock type of guy, uh, you know, at this point in his career is probably not realistic for the experience that he has. But, you know, there's a reason that Reggie Bullock, even though he's not some big superstar, played 40 minutes a game. Sorry, I talked to Tim Cato earlier today. So that's the analogy mm. you're getting. But uh, so, but I, I think, yeah, the idea, idea of him if it really exists yeah he fits into every lineup and it's great and you know part of this season i think is figuring out you know whether he is that long-term kind of starter at the two you know could he be kind of a kcp sort of player for these guys uh, I but mean, yeah I, I agree the I fact is we can probably go to just about every roster in the nba and find one right that's the point mm-hmm. like there's same thing with Taylor Hendricks, who we haven't talked about yet. And no one really knows because he didn't he didn't play any summer league. Like you can just go on every roster and find one, right? Six nine two two twenty. Like oh, there's just a million. Like is it Jaden? Well, well I, I disagree or with he- you on Hendricks. I, I I actually like his combination of shot blocking and shooting. I think is actually a relatively rare combination. Oh, I was just talking pure body. I would agree. Oh with yeah, you on yeah, what you said. yeah. But like, is he Robert Covington? Is he Jaden McDaniel's? Like, there's just a. We can just go to every roster and find one. It's you know, there's some point in this league where when you're drafting guys and looking at players, when there's 20 different comps, you're in pretty good shape that you're going to play in the league for a long time. Uh, that's, you know, that's kind of my point. No, Taylor Hendricks is super interesting. I remember listening to you on, you like him a lot. Um, I think you liked him a lot in the draft, if I recall um, correctly. I, I'm a little um, like he's the one, my, the way I would describe him in the draft was I watched him run down the floor once and I was like, oh, okay, I'll take him in the top five or top 10, right? Like you just see that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, he's 6'10, he's 215 and he runs like that. Oh, well, that's fine. That's good. We can take that. I thought defensively he had some pretty good instincts. Um, offensively, I thought he got in the wrong space a lot. So I, I'll be curious to see how his feel for an NBA game is when he's out there. I mean, he is still a baby. He is just 19 years old. And I think he's really interesting because I guess by the end of last year he was, but in his high school and his AAU career, he was never the best player on his team. Right. Yeah. And I, is, and I don't know what that means, by the way. Like, played with Scotty Barnes and Vernon Carey and, and Jet Howard, and they won state. And then his AAU team had Bryce Sensabaugh and a bunch of other guys on it. And uh, does that mean he's got like a whole nother gear that hasn't been tapped yet? And you throw him down to the G League for 25 games of taking 15 shots a night and going to work? 
and then see what you get. I, I don't entirely know, or does that mean that he's just always going to be a complimentary player who's more comfortable doing that than he is being, you know, becoming a stud? I don't, I don't know the answer on that. I mean, I'm fine with him being a complimentary player at the number nine pick. And I think we're seeing there, there's maybe been kind of a defensive, revo- uh, excuse me, revolution in that, you know, going back to maybe not having two traditional bigs offensively, but if you can figure out a way to have a second rim protector out there and that lets you do more switching that lets you if you have a post-up threat your center can guard that you still have another guy who can come over and cause some problems with just with the amount of space that's on the floor if you only have one rim protector it's kind of easy to deal with that guy uh, or the guy's just hanging out by the rim and you can get some other stuff uh, on the outside like if you allow uh, you know if you consider the idea and marketing is a good rim protector is probably part of this concept as well but if you think of like oh hey we can have taylor hendricks lowry marketing and walker kessler all on the floor together someday like that's pretty interesting uh, and john collins is a pretty elite athlete as well yeah no i think he, he's made some strides in his, he, he's an interesting player i'm really like i think it could go either way with him there's a reason he was available essentially for free uh but you know it's still a talented guy and just I'm, I'm really curious to see how he's gonna fit in are they gonna you know how if let's say he gets back to because he said oh you know i was underutilized in atlanta like how do you think he would be used offensively well i wonder if you know i don't know if i'm being 100 honest i i think what's there's one thing i think is really interesting in my prep work is how much like john collins plus minus dictated all of atlanta's success Right. Like if you look at Trey Young and DeJounte Murray on the floor together without John Collins, they're a minus seven. We're on the floor together with John Collins. They're even or plus one. Like it's interesting. Like you start playing with Atlanta's lineups and pull John Collins off and they 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 tumble like a house of cards. Um, what I do think is interesting is, you know, Atlanta was one of the top 10 pick teams in the league. So they ran a lot of pick and roll, which was long as Capella's on the floor. Then John Collins is stuck in the corner doing nothing. Yeah. Well, the Jazz were 26th in the league last year in picks. So, but they were fifth most in off ball screens. So is John Collins now suddenly playing coming off screens, coming to the ball with an advantage uh, on the move? Are they lifting a Linux and playing him out of the high post offensively, having cutters behind him? You know, Collins is a pretty good role guy at times in his career. So you may want some pick and roll out of him. But he does st- seem to kind of get negated if you have a, a a rolling big on the floor that's a non-shooter. That's Walker Kessler. It's Clint Capella. Can the Jazz find a way to use John Collins in a manner where he he exploits some other skills and athleticism? And the kid's just a ridiculous athlete. Like that's undeniable. He's he's flying out of the gym, and he's a really good rim finisher. So once those two things are set, now how do you can you can you find a way to utilize him? And obviously, he needs to make more than twenty four percent of his threes or whatever it was last year. Um, but I, I do think there's a chance that just they'll use him so differently, but I'm not certain how, if I'm totally honest about it. I think he and Lowry interacting, I think would be very interesting when you're talking about the screening that, you know, and this could be a chance for Lowry to kind of improve as a passer as well. But if you think of John Collins setting us pin down for Lowry marketing and Lowry marketing coming off that screen is kind of a five alarm fire for teams. And then, oh, well, what if John Collins slips out of that? Now he's got a lot of gravity rolling to the rim. So I, I think it would be, uh, there are some ways to use him, you know, posting up deep against Miss 
mismatches. Like I could see, you know, maybe again, like you get Lowry the ball at the high post and then you're worried that Lowry is is being, you know, he's going to beat a guy who's smaller than him. So John Collins is being guarded by their small forward and he just ducks in and Lowry could find him, right? I think those could be, or Kelly Olenek could do that. So that could be some interesting things. And then, I mean, I think these guys are going to just kill people on the offensive glass. Like that's another thing I'm, I'm excited about for this group. And that's what they did last year. They, when they were the fourth ranked offense in the NBA, nobody could quite figure out how, if you looked at the four factors, they were 10th in shooting, which is really important, but they were 25th in turnovers. They're 15th in field goal rate. So it's like, how are they fourth? Well, they were getting 29% of all their misses and, and then turning those back into points, obviously. And so they were the fourth, you know, fourth ranked offensive rebounding team in the league. And that as offenses have gotten better, offenses rebounding has become more important because the overall offensive efficiency is so far up. That said, you know, we've talked about a lot of guys yet, and we haven't talked about the guy that I, I think will most determine the Jazz's destiny this year, and that's Walker Kessler. Like I, I struggle to see, like, unless Wa- Walker Kessler can be fantastic, and you know, in a small sample, he kind of was. Like he almost if he just repeats the numbers that he had last year over a full season and for 30 minutes a game, you know, that might even be a accomplishing this but still you know this is this is starting the season you would believe uh, as the starting center uh if he has a great season and you know i think he has the type of potential where he's you know that sort of almost like a top 10 defense by himself when he's out there that's to me how the jazz could really exceed expectations uh, on the defensive end as well because I, i'm just not sure how they get to being much above average defensively uh, I mean, will hardy's great coach maybe that's it but without walker kessler repeating and maybe even building on what what he did a year ago what do you think are the chances that he can all right do. let let's walk let's let's let me i'll uh attorney attorney duncan as you once were known um if not still unless you have just decided now i've abandoned that i'm retired um let me make the case okay um and the case would be that he's moved into the starting lineup on january 10th and so if we start looking at from january 10th on and we take the let's take the 50 bigs in the NBA that defended about 400, I think it was about 450 pick and rolls from that day on. Um, the worst being Alfred Shagoon and, um, and, uh, uh, I was Alfred Shagoon and, uh, who was the worst? Alfred Shagoon and Paul Reed, despite John Hollinger's love for Paul Reed. I just want to point that out. Um, Walker Kessler came in, um, in that time period as a top 10 defensive pick and roll big, if I remember correctly. I think he actually turned out to be 14th in that stretch. Um, and if you take it a little, and then you have a bunch of guys that were there, if you take it to the top 30 bigs in the NBA, he moves up from January, from all-star break on he only Kayvon Looney was a better pick and roll big than Walker Kessler defensively after the all-star break. So he was the number two pick and roll big defensively in the 34 games after he entered the starting lineup, he averaged 12 points, 11 rebounds, three blocks and shot 72%. The one area of concern is his 48% free throw shooting. The Jazz in that time period allowed the fifth fewest shots at the rim. Walker in that time period defended eight shots inside six feet, which were the eighth most of anyone in the NBA. And only Brooke Lopez was better at rim defending after January 10th in the NBA. And opponents shot 14 percentage points below their average. So there's your case for Walker Kessler defensively being able to have the impact you were talking about. I can't hear you. Are you on mute or can I just suddenly not hear you? Seth, Seth's stats kind of back that up. 
as well. Uh, he has a stat called contest percentage where he estimates what percentage of opponent shots at the rim are contested by the player when he's on the floor. And Walker Kessler, like right up there at the top of the league, 43.8%. Uh, the restricted area field goal percentage, you, you talked about that. And in Seth's rim protection wins stat, despite the fact that Kessler didn't play nearly as many minutes as guys like Brooke Lopez and Draymond Green, uh, he Walker Kessler was third in the NBA. Uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, fourth in the NBA in that stat process. So yeah, I mean, I, if he does that, over a full season that that's pretty good i i'm just you know how many minutes can he play can he stay out of foul trouble um you know i think that i i just have loved every second i've seen of walker kessler so far and so i i I think that's that's quite possible to me that uh, he could have because if he repeats those stats, like the Jazz will almost certainly be an effective defense when he's on the floor, regardless of who's out there. With they weren't, you know, what's interesting is they weren't great in that stretch, if I remember correctly. I think that uh, I have to go back and look. Um, I think they were like twentieth in the NBA, twenty second in the NBA in that stretch, which was weird. While he was defending that well, so um, I agree with you. That's that's the instinct as well, and I think they'll be a better defensive team. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. They really, you know, you always ask, is there any type of um, uh, uh, scheme change? Will Hardy in his opening season of the NBA just flip schemes around in the middle of the year. Like we opened the year allowing like no threes and tur- forcing turnovers. And then by the end of the year, we like were never forced to turn over and allowed a ton of threes, but didn't allow anyone to get to the rim. So it's going to be really interesting to see where, what Will Hardy has for this team and, and what his style is defensively, because he played with two very different teams and different defensive styles last year. Yeah. You think you would try to, to build things uh, around Walker uh, pretty well. Um, yeah. I mean, is there any reason to believe that Walker is like not going to be able to do it? Other than no, just, I, uh, I have complete young? belief that. Yeah. I mean, Walker set the NCAA record for blocks, right? And Kevin yeah. Pelton always talks about that's one of the few stats that actually parlays, you know, blocks and steals parlay from college players. I mean, his his block numbers, there's some numbers from his college days that are are truly remarkable. My favorite is, I think, in a game against Texas Tech, and I don't have this in my notes anymore, um, but in a game against Texas Tech, and actually, give me one second, I, I'll find it. I have, I found where it's hidden. He actually blocked... 41%. It was against Texas A&M. In 24 minutes, he blocked 41% of their two-point shots in a game. <laughs> His block rate in college was 19%. Yeah, but block rate of opponent twos. Yeah, so. Yeah, uh, no, that, I think his that, overall block rate was 19%, if that's possible. I don't think that's possible. It's got to be twos. If it's from, is that from basketball reference? Uh, I'll have to check what that's from. Somewhere in my notes. Um, I, I mean, regardless, it, he's an unbelievable. Yeah, so I, I, there's nothing, you know, I, the, the question I have on Walker is whether he really just put his offensive game away. And he's, you know, in practice and in the round, he's shown some skills there. It'll be interesting to see if there is a little something to his offensive game this year. From a shooting standpoint, I don't really buy it. And 
and that starts with that his pretty bad free throw shooting. Yep. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I remember the one one game that I went to, they ran a play for him at the start of a quarter for a corner three. Oh yeah, he he was, I just he released that on my Instagram that. today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so, but yeah, I mean, I, I expect him to be a, a relative non shooter. I mean, maybe he can kind of run some stuff through the the DHO game and whatnot. And he does uh, one thing I will say about him is he does have pretty good hands around the rim he does he has a decent touch on non-dunks uh and so that that's something where he's not a bad offensive center i would say uh, particularly when you throw in the, that he's a pretty voracious offense i'm not convinced that the free throw shooting is a touch issue i think it's a confidence issue more than anything else yeah i mean just if you look at the history of guys who shoot that badly 100 free throws they're just they're not yeah good good shooters uh or or the or they improve as free throw shooters like that's the other thing like they if right. he gets better at the foul line then i, I will believe if he's that bad still probably not um what are some of the other big themes that you're really going to be focusing on uh, to start the year for this group we haven't hit on yet i mean i think you've touched on i think we've really touched on them quite well like right does does lowry have another step does walker shoot show that he can be what he's been are those two primary pieces for the jazz for the future john collins on the same timeline as that of of lowry marketing and age wise is he able to suddenly be a piece and then i think that like who wins the Hunger Games of the guards, and how long until Keontae George wins the Hunger Games of the guards? Like I think that's I think that's a I think those are really the I think those are really the questions of camp, and probably a little bit the next step is like when at what point does Taylor Hendricks make a breakthrough and you know Bryce Sensabaugh can really 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 shoot and score? Does he ever does he ever break through in some way? Yeah, you would imagine maybe some sort of a move at the deadline to be required. Although I'm, I'm very, I like Tensabaugh as well. Of course, he had the the knee issue. Uh, we haven't seen him at, at all yet, and he's a, he's a very interesting player. If you think of for those who haven't seen him, it's kind of like a 235 pound Demar Derozan. You know, that's like kind of like, like a later career Demar Derozan. Like that's kind of the way that he he likes to play. But he shoots the ball well. He can get to his spots. He's he's got a great thing for scoring. Defensive question mark. Marks, um, not the same kind of athlete as DeRozan even now, but uh, yeah, definitely an interesting potential score. One uh, interesting thing yeah. on media day, you know, it's only media day, right? But that's all we got that I thought was really interesting about Sensabaugh was that he only talked about playing in space and being like catch and shoot when all of his references to his game were almost based on playing off of other people. It was a complete change in, you know, the way he's talked, talks about his own game. So I thought that was a really interesting and maybe a good sign for the jazz that he's kind of made that, made that step already. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I mean, guess what? Like the number 28 overall pick is like not going to be getting a bunch of ISO gaps in your, but so that, that this is many years ago, but I remember Morris Allman, sure thought he was going to get the ball every time oh that's a, that is a deep cut right there yeah I, I think rookies come in with a little bit better of an understanding than they did maybe 15 years ago right. these days so yeah i'm trying to I, I think just the other thing is will hardy you know just one of the Certainly. clearly the best young coaches in the nba it was right up there for me on uh, my coach of the year ballot and if the jazz had run through the tape and not made those trades you know maybe he even would have been my pick in the end and but he's got a really there are just so many interesting things that he's going to have to start out because we we talked about this idea of playing marketing at three he doesn't necessarily really have a three he doesn't necessarily have a traditional point guard kelly olenic a guy that you 
probably have to play to get enough shooting and passing on the floor a lot of the time well he has some real defensive limitations as well and they've got some young guys their two best defenders probably in the backcourt Horton Tucker and Chris Dunn can't shoot at all uh and uh, Abaji is you know not really a a guy who's going to do anything off the dribble so he's really got to craft these lineups exceedingly carefully I would say and I think that you know I think in fairness and I I don't mean this critically to anyone, but if you look at the rankings, okay, of players, just the universal kind of rankings, then they're at a talent deficit, right? They have Lowry Markin, who's a top 30 player in the NBA, but on most ranking systems, they don't have another top 100 player in the NBA. Like Jordan Clarkson keeps getting lost, left off a lot of them on Andy Bailey's consensus. I think he was 98, but Walker wasn't in the top 100. So it's really a lot of questions of of which of these guys are going to make the step on their own. And, and, you know, there's got to be a, a, a gro- really significant talent growth by some individual players for this team as well. Um, they have, you know, they have four guys on the roster. They're positive, uh, fe- uh, effective plus minus guys. That's that's a start, but they, they've still got a ways to go just in general talent. Um, and that's going to be a case of guys making the jump um, into a different stratosphere of player than they are thought of right now. And this is another theme too that you'll probably want to not comment on this one, but they do have this top 10 protected pick. And when yeah, I mean, I'll just comment it, on that. The yeah. seems to be the desire of the organization is to be free from the encumberments of that pick. It, yeah. You know, it limits their, it limits their flexibility. If they go take that pick, then they still aren't able to trade that. Cause it's still, it's, they aren't really able to trade a first round pick for a while. Cause they're still held up on, on some other aspects. Yeah. To me, especially cause they have all these unprotected picks in future, years as well like those can sub in under the stepian rule so i i don't think that that hamstrings them that much i i think of it more as a borderline case like i if these guys are you know, if, if they're kind of where they were last year of like you know they, they could have maybe gotten into like the mix for the 10th seed even even as denuded as the roster was kind of towards the end particularly from a playmaking and shooting standpoint um you know if it's let's try to get the 10th seed at eh, you know i might i mean we saw it just last year might probably prioritize uh, keeping that top 10 protected pick if they're in a position to fight for you know the seven seed no then obviously you you do that so i i think it, it happens it really kind of depends you know where they're at kind of in march and april but as i think about just are am i going to pick them for like mid 30s or high 30s and where is the borderline for that like that is something that could drag things down now they also and they've kind of got a lot of guys on this team now maybe that would change with the some deals or something like that uh but I mean, that's probably something that we missed on last year, maybe when I thought they weren't going to be as good, is that they just did have your close to your 240 minutes at the start of last year. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's worth talking about, certainly. And I, and I think I that's think, yeah. one of the, I think that's going to be one of the most interesting stories of the NBA is yeah. that we're beginning to see the impact of the new collective bargaining agreement. And like, what does Denver have? 205 minutes? Phoenix has about 195 minutes. Like, Lakers might have. 220 minutes like in the in the west i, I kind of look at three teams with 240 minutes of players that are established and that's the clippers the warriors and the in the timberwolves and in the east i think it's only the knicks so i don't have the jazz there either right now don't misunderstand me i have them at about probably 200 but if for some reason 
again, like Colin Sexton, if you're suddenly your backcourt of establishes itself and then you're playing Lowry Markin with some reasonable backup and then you're, you're John Collins and Kelly Olenek and Walker Kessler, they're all established, then you suddenly have 240. They could very easily have 240 minutes and they probably start to win some games because in the middle of games, they're taking advantage of some some underser- underserved lineups. Yeah, and you also made the point uh, as well, uh, I think on today's show, that you know this season can't be a disaster. Like They're trying to convince Lowry Marketing to stick around. They'll, I would think, surely attempt to renegotiate him up to the max as soon as it turns over to next league year uh, and then give him a full four-year extension, similar fashion to what the Kings did with uh, DeMontis Sabonis this year, or the Jazz did a little bit of that with Clarkson, although it didn't go up to the max. But yeah, I, mean, I do think they're going to need to give him a reason to believe that this is headed in the right direction uh to and to continue to be competitive um all right let's uh any other like strengths and weaknesses we haven't talked about for these guys i think we got it covered pretty well all right well i'm going to go into predictions as a team employee i as we know i do not expect you to do that but i i appreciate your insight uh, on these matters i think that top 10 protected pick is going to land right about where i would expect these guys to be and i also think the west is going to be a little bit better this year i think these guys could be good and i think there's a, a way that they're right in that play in mix and you know kessler and marketing taking a big step forward is part of that i'm just a little bit worried about the shooting and a little bit worried about the perimeter defense i'm a little bit worried about the passing in a way where maybe this group is going to be a little bit less than some of the some of their parts uh, offensively and there's also i think there is still going to be a need for some of these young guys to play some even though there is going to be a competition uh i I think that that's that could still they're going to want to see what they have in keontae george maybe keontae george just won't be great like most 19 year old rookie point guards uh, are not that and so i I think ultimately i'm going to go for i think i went just under their over under with danny so that would be 35.5 that i had yeah 35 wins yeah that's that's i was one of those things where i was 97 sure in my head and i just wanted to confirm it yeah so i'm gonna go with 35 wins if you look at FanDuel, they have him as the seventh pick of the draft at 35.5, but they have Orlando, Toronto at 36.5, 37.5 is Chicago, and then Brooklyn 37.5 in Indiana, but no one close in the West. FanDuel has a nine-win difference between the Jazz and the next closest team. That's what you're talking about below them or, or above, above them. them. Okay, yeah, I think I think some of the like OKC, maybe OKC has gone up since I looked at it. But yeah, that that is kind of interesting. I mean, I think there will be some teams near them. Uh, but it, if that were the case, then they would kind of be out of it. And I would expect that to lead to a little bit of downward gravity in the form of, of trades, at, at least at the deadline. Because I think there are some guys who have some pretty good value on this team. But considering I mean, there's a lot of variability i would say on this team and it's a group that we haven't seen together they have a lot of young guys who could be better other than maybe clarkson you know and i still don't think in the overall lowry's would regress but maybe his shooting would a little bit so it's hard for me to think that there could be a lot of guys who are worse than last year and you know maybe kessler is just like going to get these guys to being a a you know top 10 defense when he's on the floor um it's just and maybe the offensive rebounding tells they're not going to force any turnovers that's something that i think is going to be uh you know i mean chris dunn is really the only guy that is going to do much of that so they'll probably be below average there they're going to get a defensive rebound this year um i would hope better than they did last year with this personnel yeah Yeah, i mean i think john collins will help him a lot there so uh and and kessler playing all year probably help him some there it's not not kelly's strength that's no kelly does a lot of other things great defensive rebounding is not one 
of his strengths. Yeah, but he he could box out, and hopefully someone else can just go get the the board. But yeah, he's not like an out of area type of rebounder. And but the rim protection should be pretty decent. Uh, the question just becomes whether they give up a ton of threes and uh, as well. And in addition to that, or can they kind of do the Rudy Gobert? Hey, everyone hugs up to their man, and Walker Kessler will take care of it if he gets by you. If he's really at that level, like I I, th- I think maybe that's part. Of, like he'll I expect him to protect the rim, but can he also you know kind of be that one man defense beyond that to where they can also kind of give up some threes and he'll get over there and protect the rim even uh, in those circumstances yeah my good friend tony jones thinks they're just gonna be really long and really athletic and really bother people with that length and yeah. athleticism it'll be interesting to see whether that's true i mean if this team still had mike conley on it i might be picking them to make the playoffs right um but yeah i mean that is just something that's really missing but you know of course they got that uh that top four protected lakers pick in 2027 i thought that was a good trade for them yeah so i i think they're just gonna be and, and i think they'll struggle to defend with Kessler off the floor and I think they're probably gonna be pretty bad defensively or they're gonna have no shooting in the backcourt the lack of two-way play in the backcourt is kind of tough do you think there's any chance that Yerk Saban's any good oh absolutely yeah yeah. I mean so like well what what about the idea that Yerk Saban's your backup center and you now have 48 minutes of center and then Olenek is just your backup four yeah yeah I'm not sure how good I think Yurtsevin will have to earn it defensively, which I I don't think he necessarily is is his forte. Like he's a you know a points and rebounds guy who I think yeah I think he's got the talent to be a backup center in the league for sure. But I think it kind of makes more sense to go Olenek and then Markinen and Collins. Uh, I mean, because you're kind of you're basically playing Yurtsevin over probably John Collins, right? Like that's yeah. That's unless I mean, I don't think John Collins can slide to the three, but can John Collins play the Lowry Markinen three? Probably not. I don't think he's a good enough shooter. Okay. Yeah, I don't I know. Mean, I mean, maybe it's he'll take another step. You're, saving when i was just prepping for him he's he's minus seven at the rim like teams are minus seven at the rim against him over two years not a lot of data right he only played limited times last year and played about 48 games a year before but those are still minus seven like that's a pretty big that's a pretty big number yeah no i think he could play i mean he's just been in the wilderness he had that ankle impingement and had the surgery last year but yeah i just i i'm I can't say as I look at it now that I'm if you put a gun in my head, I don't see them being above average on either offense or defense. I could see them being, you know, in the high teens on both of those. But that, you know, that kind of ends up in that 35 win range. But as I said, I think this is a team that I think has probably more upside than like severe downside. Like, I think they're much more likely to win 45 than win 25. Yeah, I, do, I don't have any idea. And we'll be interested to see what happens. <laughs> that's why that's why this is, this is a, a fascinating team for sure. Um, anything else? You got any other tidbits? Anything else you, you wanted to, to hit on here about this season? I think we've touched on. I mean, I think the only player we haven't touched on that just might have an impact a little bit more than we're talking about is Simone Fontecchio, just in the sense he's a second-year European player. Second-year players out of Europe usually have a better year than they – you know, that's usually – it takes them a year to get established – um, so I think there's a chance he has a little bit of a better year than he's had. Um, he played well for FIBA, didn't shoot it a great percentage. And that was a little bit of his problem last year is he just didn't, it didn't shoot it great. Um, you know, when you're trying to compare him to last, remember Rudy Gay was getting a bunch of minutes last year. So they'll make some progress in that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, Fontecchio can just shoot the ball the way he did in Europe. Then I think he could be a, a reasonable player. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm just, I've the backcourt rotate. I mean, that's maybe one of like the biggest camp battles of just, 
just what they're going to do. Who's going to start next to Jordan Clarkson in that backcourt? It is going to be fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know, I'm just I want to see what we get from Will Hardy in year two, whether he's uh, you know really can establish himself as you know one of the best coaches in the league. Because yeah, they they did some great stuff. Um, all right, well, Locked On Jazz is a daily jazz podcast. Is in many ways the model for this show, and I, I highly recommend that whenever something happens to the Jazz, uh, y'all listen to David there. And it's uh, Locked On Sports is his Twitter handle. And uh, of course, you can also listen to Jazz Radio uh, if you're in the car or something like that. Dave's one of the best there too. Well, nice you appreciate appreciate all your work you do. It helps me prep a great deal. So I'm a, I'm a I'm a fan of all the Dunked On pod, preview podcasts. All right, thanks again for coming on, David. Thank you for listening to this free episode of Dunked On. If you'd like to get every episode of Dunked On, you can subscribe at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.